Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your host, co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, Bunk Funkers. It's so good to be here with you on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Andy, hello. How are you? What's going on? I don't care. Jeez, you're in kind of a mood today, Art. I am. Is everything all right? Yeah, you could say that, uh, you know, I'm looking a little, I'm looking, I'm looking a little, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm dressed in all black, and I'm, there's a rain cloud above my head. Is this, uh, <laughs> some kind of a Rolling Stones reference? Andy, I'm dressed to the nines, can't you see, baby doll? I'm looking good. You're not that well dressed. I'm dressed to the nines. I'm ready for a night on the town. You better keep up or I'm going to leave you hanging dry, Andy, baby. Hey. Hey, baby. I'm going to leave you hanging dry, Andy. I'm dressed to the nines. Let's go get a sody pop and have ourselves a ball. Because it's 1945, baby. <laughs> Andy, we're covering. Andy, Andy, baby. We're dressed to the nines. <laughs> And we're covering one of America's most gruesome and most well-covered. God knows we're going to do the worst job of it. Uh, true crime, murder, mysteries, unsolved mystery, crimes, murders of all times. That's right. If you're looking for more information on this topic, go literally anywhere else. Then you'll find better information than you get here. It's the murder of Elizabeth Short. This is gruesome. And it's been nicknamed the Black Dahlia Murder. Yeah. You heard about this? You seen about this one? Oh, I've heard about this before. Um, Have you, baby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. I'm dressed to the nines. That's Andy Big Red. <laughs> That's what they call me, Big Red. Because of, of my auburn hair. Because of my shaka red hair. Uh, yeah, I've heard of this before. And Andy, you loony tune. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, applesauce. <laughs> Andy, this comes from, um, you know, I mean, just a, what? what's even the word? I don't have the word for it. A uh, wellspring of. The wellspring of topics. Yeah. This is a long time patron, long, long time bonk funker, long, long time bonk funker, long time patron, and somebody who's dressed to the nines. That's right. Erica, Erica Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Thank you, Erica. Uh, this is a fantastic topic. This is a very well known one. Bonk funkers. We don't have a very good track record with true crime, so please roast us when we get it wrong. Right. Um, we were, we've been wrong about every true crime topic we've ever covered. But hey, if we do get it wrong, we're always willing to revisit it and learn more about posing dead bodies. That's right. <laughs> uh, of course, as always, check the show notes for the timestamp that doesn't actually work anymore because now there's ads in the front of the show. Um, <laughs> check that and it'll take you right to when the research begins. But first, um, Andy and I need to tell you how we got captured to the bunker. That's true. We do. Um, we want to tell you all. That we did get captured and we are returned to the bunker this week. But um, Art and I had a little entrepreneurial spurt. This we week. had a spurt. I would say we were stroking our... Of the non-growth variety. We were stroking our entrepreneurial penis and we had a little spurt of entrepreneurship. I've just been seeing so much in the news medias and the world. This idea of OnlyFans. And I was thinking, what the... Like, what... I mean, how are I'm, these fans so popular? I'm reading all this stuff about how people are starting OnlyFans. Yeah, I'm like talking to my friend Nick Simon. He's like, dude, I'm spending so much money on OnlyFans. And I'm like, Nick Simon, what are you buying? What are you like? Are you running real hot? Why do you need to cool down so much? He's like, dude, I'm like spending so much money on OnlyFans. Hey, you know, what are you going to do there? Like, don't talk to me about fans. You won't divulge any secrets, but I'm like, man, fans are hot right now. Fans Fans are hot. Which is kind of ironic, but fans are super fucking hot right now. Yeah. And Nick Simon, as always, the biggest, like, trendsetter I know (laughs) is Nick Simon. Nick Simon is into OnlyFans. It's like, well, then it's time for me to get an OnlyFans franchise going. Yeah. So we got to become franchisees. Right. So we we started doing some research into OnlyFans. Yeah. And um, that's kind of surprising. I feel like we learned a lot about the target market for OnlyFans. Um, you know, I guess when I think of OnlyFans, I think of like personal cooling devices or home cooling devices. Yeah. Uh, but it seems that some people are very sexually attracted to fans mm-hmm. and they want a very sexy experience. They want a sexy, bespoke, private experience. It's all, uh, you know, a fantasy and there's a, a lot of fan to see a fantasy and there's a lot of money involved. Yeah. So Art and I, Art and I, we know a good business opportunity when we see one. And so we chomped at this. We chomped at it. So we opened our own OnlyFans store. Uh, we we got in more. this little strip mall. Um, with our sign, Art and Andy's OnlyFans, mm-hmm. and we started selling fans. We've got ceiling fans, box fans, hand fans. Oh yeah, ornamental fans. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We've Those got big, big fans, big ass fans. That's yeah. a literal company. It's called Big Ass Fans. You mm-hmm. can buy a big ass fan. It's like a right. forty foot fan. We made for like warehouses or like aircraft carriers and shit like that. And we bought a couple of those. We got those. We got those. 
hats with fans on them. We got, we got those. Dyson fans that go. And you're like, whoa, dude, there's no blades. It's like, where does the air come from? And I always say it's magic. Yeah. It's a little bit of that Dyson magic. Dyson magic. We've got uh, those water bottles that have the fans on them and you screw Our yourself. vendor reps tell me not to say that, but I say, you don't use them. I'll sell your fucking They're product. Like, we want to sell technology and you keep telling them, no, 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 yeah, it's magic. It's like, Shut up. Dyson is like a high end, very technological. It's the most best engineered fan. It's Dyson magic. And you go, la, 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 and then <laughs> hang up the phone. Yeah. I treat our vendors really well. Yeah. So we opened our OnlyFans and we started to get some business coming in. And, you know, you, when you start a new as when you start a new business, as Art and I have done like countless times. Right. Um, you never know how it's going to go. Right. So sometimes you sit there and you think, OK, well, nobody's ever going to come into this store. But we actually got some customers. And so yeah. knowing what the clients want is, right. I think, one of our big skills. So, you know, we're coming out and we read the room really well. Right. We're. If anything, you know, we're people people and we understand how to interact with people the proper way, the way that people want to be interacted with. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't say we ever get to a point where we're doing, uh, you know, too hard into our own egos and it's making people feel alienated from a conversation. Um, we're pretty good about avoiding stuff like that. Big so, time. So, you know, these people come in and I know they want kind of a sexy experiment experience. So... I'm like always eating a carrot, like a like a fresh carrot. And I'm always like, ooh, my teeth are so soft. I can't bite into this carrot. I have to just suck it. <laughs> yeah, and then there's we bought a Shea Lounge, and you're always lounging in the Shea Lounge. On the Shea Lounge, it's a velvet Shea Lounge, and you're always lounging on it. We don't greet people at the door. Uh, we beckon them to come into the store. Like, But it's a good opportunity. We're way in the back of the store. It's a huge... 40,000 square foot warehouse and we bought and it's like you're way at the back on a Shea Lounge sucking a carrot and you're like come and they're like what? You're like come. Greet me. (laughs) But it's a great opportunity to show off a fan because I've got like a feather fan. I'm fanning myself while I suck my carrot saying come. Come. You know and a lot of people sometimes they're not you're kind of more of the visual guy. When yeah. it comes to a sex experience, you For lounging sure. on that Shea Lounge, looking real cute. And you, you're more Sucker. of a mind fucker. I'm a mind and audio guy. So I'm taking my fans, the fan blades, and I'm like disguising my voice by talking through the fan blades, mm-hmm. like in a really cool way. And right. then I'm doing like sexy, like ASMR stuff where it's like, I undress you sexily, ooh, ooh. And then it's like, but it's all distorted like a fan blade. So it's like, undresses you slowly really fucking hot yeah hot stuff you're like Luke I am your daddy (laughs) (laughs) one of our customers are like what are you talking about incest we got all this stuff in the back of the store so you gotta walk about 30,000 square feet until you get to the, we don't have that much inventory. We don't have that much inventory. We got. I like, mean, we didn't want to overbuy inventory. A lot of the space is for the big ass fan. We have one right. big ass well, fan, but it's really fucking big. It's a big ass fan. It's a real company. Look it up. Yeah, it's a really big fan. Um, and so people are coming in, and they're they're kind of they're kind of, I don't know, they weren't very jazzed about all the fans that we had to offer, and I don't know yeah. if that's because. And we had some people like showing up, be like, oh. And then walk away. And it's like, I guess they were expecting something else. 
Yeah. It's like, what did you think it was? I don't know. People come in and they're like, they just act like this is not what they wanted. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't need a fan. And it's like, okay, why would you come into a store called OnlyFans if you don't right. need a fan? It's like, oh, I thought this was like a meetup or something. And I was like, meetup? What? There's no meat. This is it's a fan. Do you need a fan to cool your meat? Because I can figure that out. We don't have refrigerator units. We don't have refrigeration but we could units. Get you one. A frigidaire. Yeah. <laughs> what? A frigidaire. Yeah, frigidaire. Frigidaire. Ooh, brr, it's so friggin' out. So cold. <laughs> so friggin'. <laughs> so, I mean, we were just trying to be our sexiest selves. Uh, we haven't made a sale. But we've had a lot. Of, we've had some guys come close. Beckon some dudes over. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of them have seemed maybe they would be interested in buying a fan. Yeah. We're just waiting for that one owner of an auto manufacturing warehouse facility right. to like come in and be like, oh shit, that's the fan I've been waiting for. The big ass fan. Yeah. But until that day, that'll be our white whale. That is. You know, and we did have one guy who's been kind of like, you know, kind of hanging out around the, within the actual warehouse. He's been loitering. I would say he's sort of fan curious. Like he's interested in fans, but he didn't seem ready to buy. <laughs> right. Right. Because, you know, a fan's not right for every space. No, no. Sometimes you want an air conditioning unit, which we don't sell. No, that's not a fan. Not I mean, fan. yes, there's a fan inside of it, but it's not a fan. Right. So this guy, I would say, is a little bit fan curious. He's He's come in and he's looked around at a lot of our uh stock but he doesn't interact with us very much it's just mostly like guttural grunts and mm -hmm. noises um, and he kind of hangs out at different corners of this massive warehouse that we're in and like we're in the back trying to beckon customers to the back of, the la of our warehouse right you know you're on your Shea lounge and i'm <laughs> you're talking through the fans talking through the fans right so you know we kind of can't always deal with him because we're kind of working on our act right or sa a salesman act here so it's, it's a duo thing. So it's a we duo play, thing. we play off each other. We riff a little bit, right. you know, it's like, I'm sucking on a carrot and you're like, Oh, I could cut this carrot for you. I can cut this carrot for you. <laughs> Just stick your carrot in my blades. And <laughs> uh, that seemed to turn people off that, uh, that one, you know, we'll leave that one on the, we're going to bring that one back to the drawing board. It's gotta be workshopped. But this guy, you know, he's in this big trench coat and a little fedora and he's got big, big sunglasses, he's got a big beard. He's in a he's in a sleeveless trench coat. So he's got these big beefy arms through this sleeveless trench coat, which I think is a look and it is a vibe. And it's clearly like, dude, you're fan curious. Come over here. Also, I want to point out that this is not a this trench coat was not designed to be no. sleeveless. It's been clearly cut poorly yeah. by scissors. Right. I guess some people refer to that as like a duster, but I think it's cool to just call it a sleeveless trench coat. That's what it is. Sleeveless trench coat. Um, it's, you know, and there's like grease stains over some of the pockets, which I don't know what's being held in there. Mm -hmm. And there is smoke coming out of the, of the trench coat 
from different spots. And so this guy, you know, eventually we got so fed up with him smoking. He was smoking so much and just blowing all this smoke at us. And we were like, listen, buddy, don't fuck with us and smoke because we've got a legion of fans that will fucking will turn on you, bro. We will turn these fans on you. We've got all these fans. You think you think you're going to come in here and blow smoke up our asses? No, 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 no. That's our thing. No, 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 no. We've got so many fans who are ready to support us at at a moment's notice. Exactly. We can turn all these fans on you. Yeah. And they will come after you and blow you away. And so eventually, I mean, we just kind of came to almost to blows with this guy. Yeah. I mean, I almost had to blow this guy. (laughs) I was greasing up my fists, ready to go. Yeah. Because I thought, I'm going to have to blow this guy right now. Blow this guy's tap off. Yeah, this is gonna, this is gonna come to fisticuffs, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I might have to blow this guy. Um, I mean, and at that point, you know, he he did undo his trench coat and he did expose himself to us, right? And um, uh, yeah, yeah, we actually saw that there were like four people inside the trench coat. Mm-hmm. There was one large man who had the arms and the head. And then he also had three smaller men Velcroed to his body at different points. And when he opened the trench coat, the three little men jumped off of him. And And they grabbed us and they broke our fans and they had bats and they had different golf clubs and other utensils at their disposal. They smashed our fans. They broke your Che Lounge, your Che Lounge. They fucking ate all your carrots. They didn't even do it seductively. They just chomped them. They just chomped them up. Like horses. They beat the shit out of us with clubs and with different utensils and things. And they broke all of our fans. They dragged us and then Velcroed us to his body on the trench coat. Right. And so then they did the trench coat up again. Mm -hmm. And instantly it's so smoky. Yeah. You just lose consciousness in there. Like a bee. Yeah. Yeah. Like a beekeeper to a bee. Just like a bee. We passed out like bees. Yeah. What's the deal with going unconscious? It's smoke, huh? It's a bee movie. It's a bee movie. So we were both unconscious. And when we woke up, here we were in the bunker. So Who I, guess, I guess that guy was Mr. Bunker. Yeah. There's Louise. Who would have? I... There's another business down the fucking tube. Flown away. Yeah. Our six million dollars we invested into OnlyFans. Just a waste. All our fans broken. We didn't have insurance because we were so confident that it would be a success. Right. That nothing bad would ever befall us. What the fuck? I mean, I wish that I could say that uh, I think that Nick Simon was wrong here, that this was not the hot new trend. But it's, maybe he knows something I don't. Maybe it'll come around. Yeah. I guess I don't know. I couldn't find I couldn't find the spit on it. I think that market is trash. Yeah. Sell, sell, sell. I mean, it was really death by a thousand cuts on this one. I mean, there were just blades flying everywhere. Yeah, it wasn't not like a blades of glory situation, you know. No, definitely took the air out of my sails. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it was not a wind wind situation. No. I mean it spun us right round, you know. Yeah. I felt like we were just going in a big circle. Yeah. Everything really did come full circle. 
Got our cords yanked. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a real 360 on this. Anyway, that's how we got captured this week, Bunk Funkers. But you know what, Andy? It's not all for naught because um, we have a couple of new patrons to thank. Oh, yeah, we do. We got new patrons galore. I mean, this Patreon, I'm telling you, Beefers, this Patreon is blowing up. It's bigger. blowing up. If Nick Simon didn't predict this would be a big one, he messed up big time. Yeah. Because this Patreon is going freaking wild. Big so dummy. We've got two Two New patrons to thank too. So, beefers, quavers, join with me here, and let's say a big thank you and hello to Nigel Barrier, Nigel Barrier, and John Dwyer, John Dwyer, Nigel, John. Thank you both for becoming patrons of this show. That's right. Now, as is customary when new patrons join this show, we want to show just how uh appreciative we are for you doing that so we like to ringy ding ding the old bunk tech bunker alarm 3000 you bet we do for any new patron Boy, so do we i'm gonna just go switch this thing on uh here we go oh my god like a big fucking like spiral like a big spiral thing just lit up yeah this is turn what that knob yeah this is what it does now now there's gonna be like sparks of electricity <laughs> I didn't have my welder goggles that I wear oh you cannon your eyes will be fine I wear steampunk welder goggles 24 7 that's yeah. cannon yeah that is cannon uh, well, you should have had him on. You didn't wear him 24-7. You well, didn't warn me. Well, I didn't have to warn you. You normally have him on. You said you wear him 24-7. Is that not canon? Well, I meant on my head. Oh. They're just on your head. At yeah. Some point, but not over your eyes. Head. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Next time, I'll warn you. Dr. Road Buttnick. <laughs> Dumbass. All right. Let's go. <laughs> oh, the alarm's going off. Here, let me turn that off. <laughs> Andy just slapped a live chicken. It's got these like, there's these hand controls where you <laughs> yeah, I see of, that your hands are going like wild. A theremin, theremin, basically, it works with the electricity. It is like in a theremin. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. This I think looks like a good one. Um, so eat your heart out, Michael Winslow. Yeah. <laughs> eat your fucking heart out, dude. Yeah, you could never do this, Michael Winslow. Uh, so Nigel, John, we're gonna play a. Thank bunk. you. We both. found this bunker alarm in the Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm Three Thousand, and it perfectly captures both of the. Both of you, the spirit that we feel. Wow. So to say thank you for becoming patrons of the show. So that's incredible. We're gonna do the old fashioned traditional countdown and then it's, it's the just machine, for tradition. Just for tradition. It's a traditional thing for our people, um <laughs> podcasters. And we uh are gonna do a little countdown and then the bunk tick bunker alarm three thousand is gonna take it away. It's gonna play a perfectly synced alarm for you. Yeah, too, you John bet it is. Nigel, just get ready. Um, you bet it is. So here we go. We're gonna go in three Two. Oh, wait. Let me turn the volume up on this a little bit. Let me be a little more. 
There we go. All right. Nigel, John, here we go. In three, two, one. Wow. That really did encapsulate Nigel and John perfectly. Yeah. Nigel Barrier, John Dwyer, thank you so much. Thank you both so much. For being patrons of the show. That was your very own Bunk Tech Bugger Alarm 3000. Wow, 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 wow. Um, we really do appreciate your patronage and support of the show. Um, for the rest of you Bunk Funkers, if you're interested in getting your own Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000, all you got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. That's all you got to do. And sign up to become a patron. It's so easy. It's so easy. It's so easy. Even I could do it, and I'm a fucking dummy. <laughs> Five bucks a month, you get yourself a little bunky alarm. You get access to the whole back catalog. If you ever have questions about the Patreon, fucking ask. We can answer questions. I feel like sometimes, you know, Patreon, you know, you, you log on there, and it's, like, difficult. But you get the whole backlog, baby. Yeah. You get, a, you get a personalized RSS feed. You can plug it into any podcast player you want, and it'll just download all of our... It'll uh, just Patreon start episodes. playing them, and you won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to stop. And then you can join the Discord, or you can use the Patreon. You get access to the live, the gaming live streams, the yeah. new feature, gaming live streams, uh, and you can uh, you can you can watch the old ones, and you can get caught up. So there's more more content than ever coming your way. Yeah, it's coming out hot and fast. It's baby. so hot. Whew, it's, it's so fast. Steaming. It's so fresh. It's so good. Uh, you're gonna love it, and you can get angry about our opinions on food. That's that's a very hot topic. Yeah, amongst the bunk bunkers in the Discord. What was the last thing that everyone got angry about? I did a tier list. Of, oh yeah, like candy. American snacks. Snacks. It was not just candy. Snacks. And the thing you'll find most often is that what I put in my shadow realm and my bottom tier and my S tier. That's where you see a lot of contention. People get real pissed about that. Yeah, they say, "Why is this sister? This is garbage. Why is this in garbage? It's my favorite." And that's where things, you know, just gotta come to a head. But a lot of fun stuff on that Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Mister Bunker Pot. If you have the means to do so, and you feel so inclined, check it out. So, thank you again to Nigel Barrier. Thank you again to John Dwyer. We appreciate your support and patronage of this program tonight. On the program tonight, Bunk Funkers. Bum 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 bum. Breaking news. Andy and Art, once again, bungle a fucking topic. And hey, I'm going to shut off you. this bunker, bunk tech bunker alarm machine. Oh, oh that's right. you got to shut that off. Yeah. There we go. It's off. Real easy to turn it off, huh? It's just a button. Andy, we're covering one of the most famous unsolved true crime murders. Most gruesome. Bunk bunkers up top. Let me just give you a fair warning. It's a doozy. It's doozy. There's it's gross. gross stuff in this one. But, you know, it's very famous, so that means there's ample opportunities for us to uh, screw something up and misinterpret something and make ultimately dumb fucking ideas at the end mm -hmm. known publicly that we will later be ridiculed for. So, lots also, of Also, probably a lot that, that that's big enough that there, it could even deserve a return one day. But we'll Wink. see what happens. We got to get it dished out to you. It's hot. It's fresh. Here it comes. Get open, ready for it. Open your mouths. Open your mouths. Why? The train is coming in. Here it is. The Black Dahlia murder. Uh, here on this show, which I believe the name is Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Toot toot.
Andy, today's topic is one of the world's most famous and gruesome unsolved true crime moitas. The Black Dahlia case. It's a horrific crime, Andy. And honestly, horrible media coverage, horrible investigation, a real hat trick of shit. That's bug buckers, that's what you're in for. So let's dive in. Let's get started. Um Hey Art, one one sec before we huh? begin here. What's up with all this this stuff on the ground? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um that? No, just don't Andy, don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't yeah, worry but, about it. Anyway. Yeah, but it but it's like it's like weird scribblings and, and candles and shit. Well, what's all this stuff? All right. Here's the thing. I didn't want to tell you before we started because I know you're going to get pissy about it, but I was practicing some summoning magic. Don't worry about it. What, what the fuck? I'll clean up. In the... well, summoning magic? Yeah. Well, well, all this writing is glowing. Okay. Well, it's not that big of a deal. I was just messing around. You were late. You were on the open face toilet, and I just thought well, I'd mess around with some stuff. Summoning magic? What are you fucking summoning? Well, don't worry about it. I'm just trying to summon some different this things. This is getting brighter. Fun and... What the hell is going on here? Jeez, oh, oh my god. god. Oh, oh, look at it so much. Ah. Ah. Oh my eyes. Andy, so much oh. <laughs> My lungs, there's so much smoke. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? I can't see anything. Hang on, Andy. I I see, I see through the smoke. There's a there's a figure. There's a figure appearing. There's somebody somebody about to join us. Hello, Billy. Oh my god, it's Randy Newman. Correction, Screwball. It's me, the spirit of Randy Newman. You summon my spirit, but not my body. Uh, it's my spirit. Wait, are, I love LA. Are you dead? I love LA. No, I'm alive and I'm in LA. I'm just hanging out. And then you guys summon my spirit. So now my mental capacity, my the my, my mind has been astral projected to the bunker in front of you guys. Wow! Wow! Well, this I, is cool, Andy. I was trying to get you an early birthday gift. I was I know how much you love Randy Newman, and I thought I'd summon him here to the podcast. But wow. I guess I I fucked up the summoning magic, and I only brought his spirit. But that's right. You guys are a couple of fucking idiots. Oh. And you can't even fuck up, you fucked up summoning me correctly, much like you fuck up your show. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there are a lot of people that would agree with you, Spirit of Randy Newman, but. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm your biggest fucking hater. I leave all the one-star reviews. I can't stand you guys. You That's guys suck you? at what you do. Those one-star reviews have been. That's right. Shrimp dick. Yeah, well, there's you. That was one of the. not re- a shrimp. That was one of the reviews. Yeah, that was me leaving all those one-star reviews about you guys' dicks. I hate you guys, man. Your show sucks. The what? intro's too long. It's not funny. Not funny. The timestamp doesn't work anymore because you guys started adding ads. Timestamp doesn't work. And even when you do the research, it's just Wikipedia. That's all it is. And the discussion, don't get me started on the discussion. Who even listens for that stupid word at the end? That thing's fucking stupid. Nobody has ever brought that up. Nobody listens to it, and nobody cares. Fuck you guys, man. Fucking summoning me. I was enjoying a sandwich. All of a sudden, my brain gets fucking astrally projected into this shitty-ass smelly bunker. Fucking stinks. Fuck both of you, man. I love LA. Short people got lots of problems. I hate Italians, too. 
Fuck Randy Newman. The spirit of Randy Newman. Jesus Christ. Wow. God damn. This is not. I thought this would be a nice birthday gift for you, Andy. You're a huge Randy Newman fan. I guess Randy Newman's like a huge fan of me, but just a fan of fucking hating on me. This fucking sucks. I thought, oh. But I mean, comedy's subjective. It's not. You can't say something's objectively not funny, Randy Newman. Okay. What, you can just make music play now? Fuck you, Art and Andy. Fuck you, Art and Andy. Fuck you both. Fuck you too. Thank you both. Smell like pee. I hope you both get cooked in a stew. Yeah, fuck you, Art and Andy. Fuck you, Art and Andy. All right, this would be kind of... Is that really necessary? This would be kind of funny if it wasn't directed at me. Is that really necessary? Yeah, it was. Are you going to be there the whole time, too? What, are you going to just hang around here and fucking shit on us? You better believe it. I can't wait to watch this train wreck. This fucking sucks. I'm Randy Newman, and I love watching trains collide. Yeah, that is known about you, that you love watching trains collide, you sick fuck. All right, Randy Newman, fucking take a chill pill. The spirit of Randy Newman. All right, the spirit of Randy Newman. God damn it. You are insufferable. This fucking sucks. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. I love LA. I hate LA. Fuck you. All right, all right, all right. Let's get started. Let's get started here. This fucking sucks. We can prove to this guy that we can do it, Andy. We'll see. Sidebar, Andy. I don't know if we can. Side, yeah. Sidebar. This is probably the wrong topic to choose to prove to Randy Newman's spirit that we can actually do a good job. We can do it, Andy. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Here we go. On the morning of January 15th, 1947, around 10 a.m., a housewife named Betty Bersinger was walking down Norton Avenue in central L.A. <clears throat> with her three-year-old daughter when something caught her eye. It was a cold, overcast morning, and she was on her way to pick up a pair of shoes from the cobbler. Turns out, they make more than pies. Wow, that was a fucking cheap joke, man. There you guys go. Always got to sell out for a joke. Does a cobbler even make pies? Like, like I don't know. The kind of pie like. Don't side with the spirit of Randy Newman, Andy. All right, fine. <laughs> Fuck you, Randy Newman. Spirit. <laughs> I love LA. At first glance, Bersinger thought the white figure laying a few inches from the sidewalk in a vacant lot was a broken store mannequin. But a closer look revealed the hideous truth. It was the body of a woman who had been cut in half at the waist and was lying face up in the dirt. The woman's arms were raised above her head at 45-degree angles. Her lower half was positioned a foot over from her torso, and the straight legs spread wide open, as if whoever did this heinous act was posing her, much like the store mannequin her pale skin uh, resembled. The body appeared to have been washed clean of blood, and the intestines were tucked neatly under her buttocks. Her face was slashed, with what's commonly called the Glasgow smile. 
Persinger shielded her daughter's eyes, then ran with her to a nearby home to call the police. And then I think just went about her day. She just went to the cobbler. Mission, accom- Mission accomplished. <laughs> I mean, I called the police. When you got stuff to do. Okay. The woman would later be identified as Elizabeth Short, and the media would give her the nickname, the Black Dahlia. That's how it starts, Andy. Black Dahlia murder is discovered. Let's get into it. And an autopsy was performed the next day on January 16th, 1947. Frederick Newbar, the Los Angeles County coroner, uh, performed the the autopsy. And uh, bunkfuckers, this is when it gets pretty fucking gruesome. It's pretty, pretty fucking gross. So let's list some facts from the autopsy here. Facts of the story. Short was about five feet, five inches tall. That's 1.65 meters. She weighed about 115 pounds or 52 kilograms and had light blue eyes, uh, very dark brown hair. Almost people described it as like raven black. I think she dyed it, but it was very dark and uh, apparently badly decayed teeth. Her teeth were really, really, really fucked up. Um, there were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, neck, and a regular laceration with a with some tissue lost on her right breast, indicating that she was bound and tortured while still alive. Uh, Nubar also noted that superficial lacerations on her right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower left side of the chest. I mean, she, it was, I mean, this is horrible. She was bound and tortured. Now, like we said, the body had been cut completely in half. I mean, we're talking like, spoiler alert, but like, you know, when Darth Maul dies and uh, well, he doesn't die, but in Darth Maul in, in the Phantom Menace. Yeah. Completely bisected. Right. <clears throat> and what's extremely bizarre about this, Andy, is it's, you know, you think, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi did a kind of sloppy job, but this was not a sloppy job. The technique there, they believe they, that somebody with surgical skill used an actual technique to bisect Elizabeth short. It was called a, I'm going to fuck this up. Yeah, of course you are. Okay. Come on, Randy. A hemicorporectomy. A hemicorporectomy. Okay. The lower half of her body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestine at the duodenum. Um, There was very little bruising along the incision line, suggesting it had been performed after death. But this is like... It's like a very, it's like a surgical move that was taught in the 1930s as a means of like, you know, working on the spine that like causes the least amount of damage or something like that, right? Like it's, it's very clear that that's what happened. This wasn't just like a hack job where someone was just chopping stuff, you know? So that's a weird thing. Oh, I can't believe you're not going to make a comment on that spirit of Randy Newman about a hack job. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at two hack jobs right now. Yeah. I love yeah. LA. Pretty predictable. You would say that. I love love LA. Yeah. There was another uh, laceration um, that ran longitudinally. It's about four and a quarter inches um, from the umbilicus to the suprapubic region. So we mentioned earlier the Glasgow smile. That's a term for slashing someone's cheeks in the corners of their mouth, kind of extending their mouth, right? Think like uh, Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight. The lacerations measured three inches on the right side and two and a half inches on the left. And it seemed as if these were done while she was still alive. I know. Gruesome. 
The skull was not fractured, but there was bruising noted on the front and right side of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding in the uh, subarachnoid space on the right side, consistent with blows to the head. Uh, the cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from lacerations to her face and shock from blows to the head and face. Um, now, Nubar also noted that uh, her anal cavity was dilated a little bit, suggesting that she may have been uh, raped. But samples were taken from the body, testing for the presence of sperm, but the results came back negative. So, bugbuggers, that is the the gruesome, uh, you know, sort of coverage of this autopsy of this, you know, fortunately murdered woman. Um, immediately, you know, uh, the body was discovered to be Elizabeth Shorts actually really quick. Um, we'll mention this in a bit, but Elizabeth was arrested for underage drinking in 1943. And so she had fingerprints on file uh, at a police station. And that's how she was identified. Um, the way they got the info was that her fingerprints were sent to the FBI via wire photo which is a device that could transmit and print images via the telephone wires. Like, did you fucking know that existed in the 40s? Wow. That had been around since like 1910. Really? Yeah. It worked like shit. And they mostly only used it in the newspaper. But like, if you you had told me, if you had told me that the technology to transmit images over telephone wires, when did, and then you could print them out, like photocopy them or whatever they did. Like, when did that exist? I always said 1960s, easily. You're telling me they had fax machines. It's essentially a fax machine. Wow. But a really shitty version that was kind of unreliable. Kind of cool. I didn't know that. Um, anyway, besides the horrific way Elizabeth died, the news media at the time also behaved in a very bloodthirsty manner as well. Mm-hmm. Much like the killer. The Los Angeles Examiner, you see, you're sitting there rubbing your little face and you don't believe me, but I'm about to tell you some stuff that's going to make you shit your pants. Oh, I believe it. Uh, okay. Not too hard to make that guy do that. He's got you there. I mean, I'm not siding with him, but like he's got you there. The Los Angeles Fuck. Examiner <laughs> contacted Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe, who lived in Boston, and told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. This is so fucked up. They then pried as much personal information as they could out of their mother, and only then. Did they tell her that her daughter had not, in fact, won a beauty contest, but had, in fact, been murdered? Jesus Christ. Which is probably the exact opposite of a beauty contest, to be honest. I mean, it's fucked up. That's that's so fucked up. Jesus Christ. That's so fucked up, dude. Hey. I love LA. Ugh. You weren't even living in LA at this point, were you? I've always been here, baby. Can't argue with that. No, it's really fucked up. But wait, there's more. The media wasn't done murdering the soul of this poor woman who had just lost her daughter just yet. The newspaper then offered to pay her airfare and accommodations if she would travel to L.A. to help with the police investigation. Her mother obviously accepted. But then when she arrived, they kept her away from the police and other reporters to protect their scoop. Wow. But that's not all. Both the Examiner and the L.A. Herald Express went about sensationalizing the fuck out of this story from the get-go. They painted the whole story as a big sex scandal, and Short was like this sexy, flirtatious actress. They just really did a fucking number on this thing. Yeah, no kidding. 
Elizabeth Short was last seen wearing a tailored black suit, but they reported her as wearing a tight skirt and a sheer blouse. They gave her the nickname The Black Dahlia in reference to a film noir murder mystery playing at the time called The Blue Dahlia, but changed it to black to match Short's dark black hair and penchant or penchant. 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 For dressing in all black. They described her as an adventuress who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. Additional newspaper reports, such as one published in the published in the LA Times on January 17th, deemed the murder a sex fiend slaying. This is fucked up. Wow. They're like basically demonizing her. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like fucking playing around with their poor mother. Good lord. And it's gonna get worse. Elizabeth Short's life was nothing but tragic. I mean, we know how it ends, but beefers, just prep yourselves because it's a rocky journey. Yeah. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th, 1924 in the Hyde Park area of Boston, Boston, Mass. She was the third of five daughters to Cleo and Phoebe Short. Family did I. Did it I. Cleo built miniature golf courses for a living. Wow. Until he lost his entire life savings in the 1929 stock market crash. Oh, fuck. Which are not two things you think go together, but I guess they do. Also, today I learned miniature golf courses have been a thing since the 20s. What a cool job. He builds miniature golf courses. God damn. But all right, it's about to get worse. Uh, like many who lost everything of the great crash, Short's father unfortunately had nowhere left to turn and no way to support his family. And thus, uh, when his car was found abandoned at the Charleston Bridge in the 1930s, it was presumed he jumped into the Charles River and took his own life. Then Mama Short took up a job as a bookkeeper to support the family. So things are already off to a rough start, uh, but they'll get worse. Don't worry, Andy. I know you're worried, but they're about to get worse. Yeah, I was worried it wasn't bad enough. Elizabeth was also a sickly child. She had bronchitis and severe asthma attacks. So bad, she went underwent lung surgery at the age of 15. That's 1930s lung surgery, Andy. I don't know. I almost would rather take my chances on the 1930s stock market than 1930s lung surgery. What do you think? Fair point. What did they have to do? What's the upsell? I don't know. Lung surgery. Ugh. But Elizabeth made it through. She's a fighter. And her mother sent her to Florida to stay with family friends during the winters. Because, it, you know, this is still the time where it's like, hey, acclimate yourself to a drier, more milder climate. These winters are bad on the chest. Yeah. Obviously, that's a lot to handle for a kid. And Elizabeth, you know, she dropped out of high school her sophomore year. Um. Then in late 1942, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's mother received a letter. What kind of letter you're asking, Andy? Yeah. What kind An of apology letter? letter from her presumed dead husband. Turns out dear old Cleo wasn't dead. He was, in fact, alive and living in California. I love LA. Yeah, I mean, he was living in California. So Elizabeth decided to go live with him out there and give California... Uh, give the climate a try. You know, it makes sense. Really nice out there in California. Yeah. She relocated to Vallejo, Vallejo, California in December at age 18 to live with her father, who she hadn't seen since she was six years old. Wow. Well, Andy, as you can expect, things went great. Yeah. No, they didn't. Arguments between Short and her father caused her to move out next month in January 1943. Wow. It's horrible. She took a job at the base exchange at Camp Cook, 
uh, near Lompoc, briefly living with a U.S. Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly also abused her. Uh, she left Lompoc in mid-1943, moved to Santa Barbara, which is where she was arrested on September 23, 1943, for drinking at a bar while underage. The juvenile authorities, they didn't, like, charge her with it. They just arrested her. Uh, and they, you know, they sent her back to Massachusetts. They said, go back to Massachusetts to go live with your family. She instead returned to Florida. While in Florida, she met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., a decorated Army Air Force officer of the 2nd Air Commando Group who was training for deployment to the Southeast Asian Theater of World War II. Gordon goes off to war. So they're kind of dating. They're getting sweet on each other, as you might say. They're dating. He goes off to war. It's a classic tale. Yep. He gets in a plane crash while, while, I guess, fighting in India. While recovering from his injuries, he writes to Elizabeth. He writes her a letter. And he proposes that they get married. She writes back and accepts his proposal. Wow. Aww. Sweet. But then, tragically, Gordon dies in a second plane crash on August 10th, 1945, less than a week before the end of the war. Did I mention this was tragic? Yeah. This is fucked up. I mean, I was really expecting it at that point. After everything <laughs> else, I was like, oh, he probably You're dies. waiting for it, yeah. Probably dies. In a second plane crash, a week before the war ends. Was One this, week. Was this active combat or... I don't know. Because no. it would be really tragic if it was like, oh, just a mechanical failure or something. He yeah. died on a, in a crash. Yeah. In July 1946, Short relocated to Los Angeles. I love LA. Okay. God. Fuck. God, it would have been so cool. I mean, God, I thought it would be so cool. Like, oh, Randy Newman. Like, no. So many good songs. Oh, it would love be him. great to pick his brain, but. Fuck this. Yeah, that song about Putin putting pants on. Oh, that one? Putin putting pants on. I forget how it goes. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Sounds like a real banger. So she relocates to Los Angeles to visit uh, Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling. Who she really friend. likes guys with Gordon in the name. Yeah, Gordon's a cool name. Any Gordons out there, shout out to the Gordons. Um, Half-Life, uh, Gordon Freeman, an acquaintance from Florida uh, who was stationed at a reserve base on Long Beach. She spent the last six months of her life in Southern Cal, mostly in Los Angeles. Shortly before her death, she had been working as a waitress and rented a room uh, behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Various accounts of Short's life describe that she did enjoy the nightlife. She liked to go out. She enjoyed dressing to the nines and would sashay down the sidewalk, knowing the value of her beauty. You know, it's hard to it's hard to parse through some of these things, right? You get you're getting all these different accounts, like I kind of mentioned up top. A lot of media attention, a lot of media spin on this this woman's life. It's hard at this point, how many decades later, to really tell what was the truth and what wasn't. You know, uh, people, some people, cl even close to her, like her roommates. Um, said that she was out with a different boyfriend every night. This is also a person who's experienced a fuck ton of tragedy in their life. Who knows? You know, they, they, there's accounts that say she loved to spend every last dollar she had on clothes. She wanted to look her best. Yeah. I say, you know what? After the life she had, right. why not? And she liked to go out every night and have different men pay for different things every night. Look good. Enjoy your life. 
And, and she had been variously described and depicted as an aspiring or would-be actress. According to some sources, she did in fact have aspirations to be a film star, though she had no known acting jobs or credits, not unlike me and you. Mm. She, she certainly embodied the 1940s movie star look, however. Bright red lipstick, that raven black hair, the, she had these bright blue eyes. She was described as having a nice figure and porcelain skin. Uh, she certainly did look like she belonged in the movies, you know? Yeah. That she got that, that nickname from. On January 9th, 1947, only six days before her death, Short returned to her home in Los Angeles after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley, a 25-year-old. <laughs> Good God, the names, Red Manley? The names are fucking... Oh, my God. Mwah. I could kiss all the names in the fucking What story. I would give to have the name Red Manley. I know, he's, he's called that because he had, like, red hair. Yeah. So he's, his nickname, oh, that's old Red Manley. Talk to my buddy Red, he'll set you up just right. He was a 25-year-old salesman, a married salesman. Oh, my God. Might I add. This guy was closing deals left and right, Red Manley. Well, and him and Elizabeth Short were, uh, were dating. Yeah. Manley first met Short while she was waiting. This is back in the age, though, where you could be like, you know. Well. Wife's at home with the kids. You can do pretty much whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could do that in any age. Still, well, right? yeah. But, There's just there was less social expectation sure. to be present. Well, here's the thing: Manly first met Short while she was waiting for a bus stop, and he kept persistently asking her if she wanted a ride, which she first ignored, but then finally got in. Right. Okay, so there's some bad decision making. Well, from there, they would date off and on when Manly was in town. According to Manley, though, they were totally just friends, and when they rented hotel rooms together on trips without his wife present or aware, they totally slept in separate beds. Totally. Seriously, guys. Seriously. He's being super serious. They never fucked, okay? They were sleeping in separate beds. It's just that his wife wasn't aware that he was taking trips with this other woman. Right. She was just along for moral support. Right. They were totally just friends. Just friends. Manly stated that he dropped... We're taking the historian's approach to this and saying there's no evidence that they were having sex with each other <laughs> right. or in love, so they were just friends. Manly stated that he dropped Short off at the uh, Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, and Short was to meet her sister, who was visiting from Boston that afternoon. By some accounts, staff of the Biltmore recalled having seen Short using the lobby telephone. Shortly after, she allegedly seen by patrons of the Crown Grill um, Cocktail Lounge at 754 South Olive Street, approximately um, like 600 meters away from the Biltmore. But maybe the most tragic thing of all in her life was that Short's own father, who had not seen his daughter for three years, refused to accept the coroner's request to help identify her body after she died. <laughs> fucked up like just wouldn't even go and help wouldn't even go identify the body just said nah I'm not gonna do it why because he was still pissed at her Ugh, man. <laughs> god damn that uh from you was the most sincere gesture I've ever gotten from you it's like I could see if the explanation was he was really grossed out by the condition and it right. was too traumatic for him right. he didn't want to go but it's like no I'm mad at her I'm not gonna go identify her dead body it's tragic, man. This is a tragic tale. Yeah, what an asshole. What an asshole. Go figure. Let's get into the investigation here. But Manley was an early suspect for police investigations as he was the last to see Elizabeth alive. Uh, he actually... Yeah. Red Manley would be the suspect, wouldn't he? 
Wait, wait, what's going be... on? You have your eyes closed and you're like real sincere. I would be the story. It's like poor Red Manly. He's just trying to cheat on his wife. And... <laughs> this poor innocent man. This poor, just trying to cheat on his wife and have some fun. This poor innocent man with such a great name. Yeah. Just cheating on his wife and he's going to get suspected of being a murderer. It's such bullshit, dude. Yeah. When will society learn to just let adulterers be? <laughs> but he cooperated and he helped identify Elizabeth's shoes mm -hmm. and her purse in like the evidence and his alibi checked out. He was cleared of the murder. He also took two polygraph tests that indicated his, his innocence. So the investigation into Short's murder, uh, you know, it takes some pretty wild turns and it might be more film-esque than the film her nickname was derived from. Right. Things are about to get weird. On January 21st, 1947, a person claiming to be Short's killer placed a phone call to the office of James Richardson, the editor of the LA Examiner, congratulating Richardson on the newspaper's coverage of the case and stated he planned on eventually turning himself in but not before allowing police to pursue him further. Additionally, the caller told Richardson to, quote, expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail, quote. So we already have, uh, you know, this classic fucking, almost like a movie, like the killer fucking calling and, and toying with the media and the police. And this person was not a liar. On January 24th, a suspicious manila envelope which is the most suspicious of all the envelopes, was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker. The envelope had been addressed to the L.A. Examiner and other Los Angeles papers with individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings, like the very classic ransom note style, Andy. Right. Who was the first person to do that? I don't know. Uh, something to look up. That is something to look up. That is a fun fact. That's, that's a good trivia fact. That's such a trope of... Of this type of it is of slaying that you leave some sort of note like right this guy's doing it Zodiac did it. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, "Here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow." Inside were the following items: Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, some business cards. I know. Photographs. Look at this photograph. Names written on pieces of paper and an address book with the name Mark. Hansen embossed on the cover more on him in just a bit. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similarly to Short's body, which led police to suspect that the packet had been sent directly by her killer because the gasoline made it extremely difficult to lift fingerprints off the possessions and her body, hmm. which we're dealing with somebody who like knows what they're doing. Cause yeah. that is not like amateur even even for the like rudimentary 1940s I know. Like, police work that right. they were doing compared to today it's like still somebody knew the techniques and good segue Andy because they did manage to lift like a partial fingerprint but the prints didn't survive the transit to the FBI for testing due to you know how kind of like you know rudimentary the the mm -hmm. investigative detective stuff was at the time right you know they had to send it probably like physically to some FBI headquarters. Yeah. And it just didn't actual fingerprints there. Didn't make it. Yeah. The same day the packet was received by the examiner, a handbag and a black suede shoe were reported having been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley a short distance from Norton Avenue, about two miles from where Short's body had been discovered. The items were recovered by police, but they had also been wiped clean with gasoline 
destroying any fingerprints, and these were the things identified by Red Manley, as mentioned earlier. Now back to that address book belonging to Mark Hansen. Hansen was a wealthy local nightclub and theater owner whom Short was familiar with and even stayed at his home once, one time, with some friends. This is like, it's so fucking trope-esque, like movie. It's just like Chinatown, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Police tracked down approximately 75 men from the book, most of whom had only briefly met its owner, as well as Hansen. Hansen was quickly deemed a suspect, and Toth, Short's friend and roommate, told police investigators that Short had recently rejected sexual advances from Hansen, and that could have been the cause for her murder. Jesus fucking Christ. A sleazy nightclub owner sexually harassing a woman who turns up dead. This is really sounding like a fucking movie. Yeah. It's, it's definitely. Well, Hanson they was. They should make this story into a movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I wonder they if have. anybody's ever thought of yeah. that. Hanson was eventually cleared as a suspect, but more on that later when we get to the suspect portion. Oh, okay. Then on January 26th, another letter was received by the examiner. This time it was handwritten, which read the following, quote, here it is. Turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had fun at police. Had my fun at police. Black Dahlia Avenger. The letter also named a location at which the supposed killer would turn himself in. Police waited at the location on the morning of January 29th. But the alleged killer did not appear. Man, can you imagine if the next letter that the examiner got was just, uh, just said LOL? <laughs> Like written in the same handwriting yeah. and it just said LOL. Like that's one that's one opportunity. Gotcha, noobs. That's one opportunity that people in the 1940s didn't have. They didn't. They did not know how to troll. Yeah. Well, well, they did, but they didn't follow up on it. Right. It was, I mean, that would have been funny. Instead, at 1 p.m., the examiner offices received another cut and pasted letter, which read, have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. All told, the press and police would receive around 13 tabloid print-style letters from the alleged killer. Man, this does sound a lot like Zodiac, doesn't it? A lot more on that later, Andy. Yeah, I know. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the front of Rees Avenue in Venice, California. The note read, quote, <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. This wasn't in Italy. I love LA. Yeah. We know. We know. You've we said know, it like 80 times. Know. You had like, you've, you've had a career for like 50 years. Why do you not know any other lyrics? I love LA. God damn it. Man, this is really grinding my gears. I'm getting agitated by this. <laughs> I'm starting to get very agitated, <laughs> knowing that the spirit of Randy Newman's leaving all these one-star reviews, and then, then gets summoned He's here. He's biggest hater, and then it's just yeah, just dunking on us. He hates the show. And just going, lay, 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 every fucking five minutes. What are you gonna do about it? I don't know what to do with the spirit. Fuck you. I. Damn it. He's like unassailable. What am I even supposed to say? I don't know. What can you say to Randy Newman? That he hasn't already said or done. Anyway, the note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. I don't know who the fuck Mary is. 
The pile of clothing was first seen by a beach caretaker and gave no clue about the identity of their owner. A total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked on the case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff's deputies and 250 California State Patrol officers. Various locations were searched for potential evidence, including storm drains, abandoned structures, various sites along the L.A. River, kinds of places you and I would hang out. (laughs) Yeah. But it yielded no further evidence. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward for information leading police to Short's killer. Damn. Out of his own pocket or that from the city treasury? I, I don't know. I that's I don't. That's a big reward. I would assume the city treasury. I don't know. That's a big reward. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Because that was just for information. That would have been worth about uh, like a hundred over one hundred twenty-one thousand dollars in twenty twenty-one. Wow! Damn. Um. After the announcement of the reward, various persons came forward with confessions, most of which were fucking just bullshit. Why would you come forward with a confession when there's a reward? I know. I'll get that hundred twenty thousand dollars. I'll get that $10,000. I'll turn myself in. <laughs> well, like they're not going to let you keep it if you did it. Several of the false confessions were actually charged with obstruction of justice. But the reason why, Andy, is because of the media attention, which I'm going to get back into because they fucking spun this thing out of control. Yeah. So people were like confessing to it. People were like, oh, my, my, I know who did it. It's this person, this person that I have beef with. Like it's that kind of thing. Like the same thing as the torso murders and other right. things we've covered, right? The graphic nature of Short's murder and the hoopla surrounding all these fucking letters and the possessions. There you go. Hoopla. Hoopla. Uh, It's like the Zodiac Killer. I mean, it's just everyone was in a frenzy. Sent this case into a media frenzy. Both local and national publications covered the story heavily, many of which reprinted the sensationalistic reports, suggesting that Short had been tortured for hours prior to death, which might have actually been true. Uh, The information, however, was mostly false. Police did allow the reports to circulate so as to conceal Short's true cause of death, which was cerebral hemorrhage from the public. Now, one of the reasons why they might have done that is because, you know, you don't want to, like, put that out there and get all these weird copycat killings. You want to actually try and trace real murders if they do continue and, you know, to help conceal the truth. Yeah, if you leave some detail out and then another and later on, somebody else right. gets murdered, right? And it has exactly the same detail as Elizabeth Short's murder. Then you're able to link them back and say, probably this is the same person, rather than this is a person inspired just by the media, right? And I mean, here's the thing: further, you know, it's really more about like the further reports about Short's personal life, which were publicized, including details about her alleged declining of, like, you know, Hanson's romantic advances. And there was a stripper who was apparently an acquaintance of Short's, told the police that she quote like to get guys worked up over her, but then she'd leave them hanging dry. Which is like such a 50s saying. It's like crazy how 50s that is. She liked to get the boys worked up, but then would leave them hanging dry. Yeah. See, now we could be way more like succinct with that. And you just, uh, she's giving everybody blue balls. Blue balling. <laughs> yeah. Blue balling. Um, and then, of course, you know, some reporters in the media also looked into the possibility that Elizabeth Short was a lesbian, because why not? There's almost no unprofessional and morally bankrupt ploy they haven't considered at this point, so they... Hey, might as well throw that You in. might as well, baby. Might as well speculate on her sexuality when we have no right. information on it. 
They began questioning employees and patrons of gay bars in Los Angeles. <laughs> this claim, however, has remained unsubstantiated. Wow. Just imagine going out of their way. Like, nothing led them there. They were like, let's go talk to some people at gay bars. Maybe she was gay. Well, you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, wide um, disapproval of homosexuality at the right. time. But um, man, so they're trying so hard to like. They're really just they're really just bad. Like, can you imagine being a, a newspaper person and being like, wow, a murder victim? How can we smear them? How can we make this murder victim look like shit? This poor person that got murdered. How can we make them look like an absolute they got, piece I got of that shit? Chasing that scoop, baby. It's like his girl Friday, man. Yeah. On February 1st, the Los Angeles Daily News reported that the case had run into a stone wall. There were no new leads for investigators to pursue. The examiner continued to run stories on the murder and the investigation, which was front page news for 35 days following the discovery of the body. Long time. Uh, When interviewed, lead investigator Captain Jack Donahue told the press that he believed Short's murder had taken place in a remote building or shack in the outskirts of L.A., and her body transported to, into the city where it was disposed of. Based on the precise cuts and dissection of her corpse, LAPD looked into the possibility that the murderer had been a surgeon, doctor, or someone with medical knowledge. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. In mid-February 1947, the LAPD served a warrant to the University of Southern California Medical School, the Trojans, <laughs> which was located, right? This is the Trojans? Which was located near the site. Is it? I don't know. You said... You- USC. Yeah, Trojans. Cool. Which was located... Thanks, Art. That was really necessary for you to come in with that comment. Yeah, it's necessary to come in Trojans, Randy. Spirit of Randy. Did you get that one? It's necessary to come in Trojans. Oh, what? Like the Trojan horse and the condoms? Yeah, I get it. I got the train of thought. Yeah, it's... You know what I like to think about is 40 or 50 warriors from Sparta running train on your asshole. Putting their little phallic phalanx up your butt fuck you andy jesus christ randy what the hell what the fuck dude that got real weird that was like really homoerotic and and just violent 40 40 40 to 50 spartan 40 to 50. warriors shirtless abs glistening in the persian sun their shields and loincloths Kissed with the sea, the, the sprite, the, the water of the sea, fucking you in the ass. God. Really? Really intense. Yeah. Not necessary. Anyway, move on here. Um, I don't know that my butthole's got that kind of stamina, spirit of Randy Newman. Yeah, much like you're the rest of you. No stamina on you, Seabiscuit. You were a horse, I'd turn you into glue. Fuck you. God. Will you relax? Yeah. So He's a big fan of you. So aggressive. And he's a big fan of you. Yeah, I really like I really like your music. Well, stop. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Okay, things are getting weird. Uh so they they petitioned the the medical school. Uh, requesting a complete list of, you know, all the students. University agreed as long as the they remained private. Background checks were concluded. No results. The students were all cleared, right? None of the students did this. By the spring of 1947, Short's murder had become a cold case with few new leads. Sergeant Finnis Brown 
One of the lead detectives on the case blamed the press for compromising the investigation through reporters probing of details on unverified reporting. In September 1949, a grand jury convened to discuss inadequacies in the LAPD's homicide unit based on their failure to solve numerous murders, especially those of women and children in the past several years, Shorts being one of them. In the aftermath of the grand jury, further investigation was done on Shorts' past with detectives tracing her movements between Massachusetts and California and Florida. They interviewed more people who knew her in Texas and New Orleans, but it yielded no useful information on the murder. The case remained unsolved to this very day. So, let's talk about some similar cases, right? Obviously, I think your little head is churning. Yeah. And you can probably point to a couple of similar cases that we've covered in the past already. Oh, yeah. The Black Dahlia has been linked to many other gruesome cases around that time, some as legitimate leads and others as bogus confessions and copycat letters. Crime authors such as Steve Hodel, son of George Hodel, more on them later. Hodel. Or Hodel, sorry. Hodel. Hodel. Uh, Hodor. Hodor. Oh, Hodor. God damn it, Hodor. Hold the damn door. God damn it, Hodor. Hold the... Hold the fucking door. Hank wouldn't swear like that. Hank. <laughs> that Hodor ain't right. Pro, profane Hank. That Stark ain't right. Hold that door, Hodor, or I'll fuck you in the ass. How about come on, man? Lannister always repays his debt. Come on, Lord. <laughs> Doing what I'm saying there? <laughs> come on, Hank. I am telling you that the mother of dragons is coming. No, he'd be into the White Walkers. He'd be like, there are, there are thousands of White Walkers beyond the wall, Hank. I'm telling you that they're coming and they will exterminate us. Dale, you're being ridiculous. I feel like Dale would be uh, in the eerie. He would be like, yeah, like uh, John Aaron's widow. <laughs> yeah, drinking breast milk. Who's doing that? That was that was John Aaron's son. Is that Littlefinger? Uh, oh no, that's the older son who's still still breastfeeding. Yeah, yeah, he was like an older child. Great show. Uh, <laughs> Anything that shows breastfeeding is good in my book. So Steve Hodel and his, his father and then uh, William Rasmussen uh, have suggested a link between the short murder and the 1946 murder and dismemberment of a six of six year old Suzanne Degnan in Chicago, Illinois, part of what is known as the Chicago lipstick murders, mm-hmm. uh, which got its name due to the chilling notes scrawled on the wall of the crime scene in red lipstick by the killer. Yeah. Steve Hodel also uh uh, pointed to a connection between Elizabeth Short's murder and the murder of Jean French, who was murdered three weeks after Short and also died of blunt force trauma to the head with her body oddly posed and dumped uh, in a vacant lot in the early morning. Very similar to Short, however, French had the letters BD. Uh, very similar to Short, however, French had the letters BD scribbled with red lipstick on her abdomen, possibly thought to stand for Black Dahlia. Captain Donahue of the LAPD stated publicly that he believed the Black Dahlia and the Chicago lipstick murders were quote-unquote likely connected, which added to this this connection and mystery. 
But is there enough evidence to really line these two murders up? I mean, Short's body was found on Norton Avenue, three blocks west of Degnan Boulevard. Degnan being the last name of the girl from Chicago. Well, okay, that's kind of more of like a Ripley's Believe It or Not level coincidence than evidence, but there were also some similarities in the handwriting on the Degnan ransom note and that of the Black Dahlia Avenger notes. Both texts use a combination of capitals and small letters. Um, the Degnan note read in part, you know, burn this for her safety with like B, capital U, lowercase RN, capital, you know, that kind of case throughout. And both notes contained a similar misshapen letter P. And I have one word that matches exactly. But no link between the two were ever established. And the person arrested and tried for the lipstick murders was William Herons. He never confessed to the Black Dahlia murder, uh, nor did he have ever have any evidence of committing it. In fact, his conviction for the lipstick murders has also come under a heap of scrutiny as well, with Steve Hodell himself saying that Herons was innocent. Yeah, I thought that, uh, is it true that he got exonerated? I don't know if he got exonerated of, he was tried for multiple murders. Yeah. I think the parole board, uh, like, considered, he, so he got multiple life sentences. So he might have been exonerated for the murder of Suzanne Degnan, but there were other murders that he still had, like, either... And his confessions were very coerced. He was oh, hard to believe that Chicago cops were yeah. Beating, I mean, it was beating confessions. It's out a of pretty somebody. bad. It's a pretty bad case. It's pretty much like anything that somebody didn't just confess to on their own, right? In Chicago for like I don't know decades is pretty questionable. And it's a, I mean, it's a heinous crime. It's the dismemberment and murder of little yeah, girls, right? It's horrible. so. Um, and and you know, Herons had had a lot of history of criminal activity and had mm -hmm. a rough home life. So yeah. Um, there was just, it's just a bad, bad case, um, in yeah. and of itself. And, and speaking of bad cases in and of themselves, Cleveland detective, Peter Marylou. Oh, <laughs> whoa. He comes into this story. He does. Oh shit. He suspected a link between the short murder and the Cleveland torso murders. Oh, let me guess. Uh, but P Peter Marylou was like also really into the gay angle on this one. <laughs> As you can expect. I mean, bunkfuckers quick before, uh, let me say this first before <laughs> I, Tag on Andy's line there. The Chicago or Cleveland torso murders took place in Cleveland, Ohio between 1934 and 1938. You beefers recall from when we covered the Cleveland torso murders that Detective Peter Marylou was the one who would go undercover into gay bars in Cleveland attempting to lure other gay men into compromising situations because he believed the torso murder was a closeted homosexual. Yeah. To the point where the rest of the investigators put Marylou on the like ridiculous stuff uh, parts they, of the case. They had him chase the wild goose chase, chases. Chase the stupid, the leads stupidest leads because he was such busy. a crackpot himself with right. his obsession with the homosexuality yeah. angle and dressing up and trying to lure gay men into compromising situations. So there's that. As part of their investigation into other murders, that boy, took oh place, boy, I sure could use a fella to fill my anus tonight. <laughs> That's him. Before and after the short killing, the original LAPD investigators also studied the torso murders in 1947, but they discounted the relationship between the two cases. It's not hard, though, to see the resemblance, given how the torso murders also bisected many victims. But there's some there's some differences, right? And then the obviously the distance. You know, when we covered the torso murders, um, I forget the name of the gentleman, but uh, there is one very clear suspect 
can't remember his name. That doctor. That doctor. And there was some, there, there's a lot of evidence that he kind of stayed around the Midwest and the East Coast. Not so much that he traveled to L.A. Yeah, what, the... the but he could have. As, as far west as he got with Sandusky. Yeah, and he might have been traveling on trains, doing other murders yeah. on the trains, but um, you know, you never know. The possible connection between Schwartz's murder and the Cleveland Torso murders received renewed media attention when it was profiled on the NBC series Unsolved Mysteries in 1992, in which Elliot Ness biographer Oscar Fraley suggested that Ness was the identity of the killer responsible for both cases. What the fuck, Elliot Ness? God damn it, release the fucking info, you Just, asshole. Why would you withhold it, Elliot Ness? Elliot Ness is like a Randy Newman spirit level of dick if he was withholding that information. Oh, you lack it, wouldn't you? What? Randy You'd Newman's love to see my dick. dick. No. My dick. No. My dick. My lovely pimply dick. No. That's right. I wrote that song for the Black Eyed Peas. What would you even know what to do with my penis? I wouldn't. Exactly. I don't know what to do with the penis. You wouldn't of a, know what to do with any penis. Of a spirit. That's right. I know what to do with my own. I'm very good at doing stuff with my own. Andy, don't add it in. Let's talk about some witnesses. Okay. The no okay. The notoriety of Short's murder has spurred a large number of confessions over the years, many of which have been deemed false. During the initial investigations into her murder, the police received a total of 60 confessions. Most of most were made by men. Us men love confessing. I'll tell you my sins, just ask me. I'll give you my dirty little secrets. Don't tell anyone or you'll be just another reject. You know that song? Was that uh, Good Charlotte? No, that's the All-American Rejects, Andy. Oh. Dirty Little Secret. Oh. Whoops. A mid-aughts, one-hit wonder. Maybe, I think they had a couple of hits. Oh, they weren't really rejects then, were they? They weren't. They were beloved. Uh, since that time, over 500 people have confessed to the crime, some of whom had not even been born at the time of Short's death. Jeez. <laughs> This also includes me, Andy, Mr. Bunker, and Randy Newman. I love LA. Yeah, I did confess. I admit. We've all confessed. I confessed to confessing. Sure. Sergeant John P. St. John. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine if this guy became a martyr and became a saint? St. John, St. John. <laughs> Which, what's your painter, St. St. John? St. John? Oh, which John? You know, St. John, St. John. He was a detective who worked the case until his retirement stated, it is amazing how many people offer up a relative as a killer. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Do that yeah, my mother-in-law did it. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my brother. My brother-in-law still owes me 40 bucks. I think he's the killer. <laughs> Never returned my lawnmower. Yeah. And he's very good at bisecting bodies surgically. <laughs> Yike. In 2003, uh, Ralph Asdell, one of the original detectives on the case, told the Times that he believed he had interviewed Short's killer, a man who had been seen with his sedan parked near the vacant lot where her body was discovered in the early morning hours of January 15, 1947. A neighbor driving by that day stopped to dispose of a bag of lawn clippings in the vacant lot. Um, 
<laughs> okay. Side note, side note. I guess we don't give a fuck yeah. about city dumping laws. Yeah, what the fuck? Can we please arrest this neighbor for illegal dumping? Well, well here's a, a vacant, vacant lot. lot. Might as well throw my shit in it. Hello? Dispose of your lawn clippings properly or face justice. If you don't fucking dispose of your lawn clippings properly, you should get the chair. Yeah, feed them to a goat like a normal person. Yeah. Andy and I both have goats that we keep in our sheds. It's a goat shed. It's a shed goat. And we feed it lawn clippings. That's what you do. And we and let if it. You don't do that. That's bad. Yeah. You are a jerk. You don't deserve to be in society anymore. Um, so this 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 person who was disposing of their fucking lawn clippings uh, saw someone in a parked sedan near the lot where the body was found. Allegedly, with its right rear door open, the driver of the sedan was standing in the lot. His arrival apparently startled the owner of the sedan, who approached his car, peered into the window before returning to the sedan and driving away. The owner of the sedan had, was followed and apparently worked at a local restaurant and was ultimately cleared of suspicion, but I don't know. This is coming out like so much later. Like a lot of evidence was cleared because, um, I'll mention this later, but in the early 2000s, like the DA office or somebody did like a big like, you're, we're clearing out all this info, like we're disclosing all this stuff that was maybe like classified or buried away um, on the Black Dahlia murder. So that's when all this shit is coming out in hindsight. And that's also when Hodel uh, released his book. And so there's a lot of just, this is when all this shit is coming to light. So you're probably, beefers, you're probably wondering in your head, like, well, why the fuck didn't they pursue that person? More? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, suspects. There are a plethora of suspects in the short murder, as you would expect, Beefers. But there's actually a number of celebrity suspects, yeah. and their connections to the murder are really astounding and legitimate. Yeah. Folk singer Woody Guthrie was a suspect uh, as Elizabeth Short's murderer because around the same time he was writing sexually explicit letters and tabloid clippings and potentially stalking a woman in Northern California. So as you can see, he definitely surgically bisected and drained a woman of her blood in Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, it's the connection is clear as day. Well, this land is your land. Yep. Time to bisect your body. Orson Welles was also a suspect. Why? Because the Short's neighbor in Massachusetts thought that he might have been the killer because he had a volatile nature and had made mannequins for a movie before and might have performed magic near the site where Elizabeth's body was found. So as you can see... He certainly surgically drained, surgically bisected and drained a woman of her blood in Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, the connection is clear as day. Yeah. <laughs> he might have been around that vacant lot at one point in time and made a mannequin magic. for a movie. Practic practicing magic. He practiced magic. Movie magic. He did a magic show. Bugsy Siegel, an LA, uh, uh, LA mob affiliate, was also suspected for literally no reason. So as you can see, he definitely, he definitely surgically did. bisected and drained a woman of her blood in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I'd like to offer up my own celebrity suspect. Yeah. The spirit of Randy Newman. Oh, now this I can agree with. Wow, 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 wow. Of course you fucking idiots would say it was me. You know what? I got another song. Oh. Fuck you, hot nanny. Fuck you, hot nanny. 
as the days go by. I hope you both die. Fuck you both. I'm gonna push you with a cream pie. Hope you both get poked in the eye. Yeah, fuck you, Art and Andy. Fuck you, Art and Andy. Beep, 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 beep. Cream pie? Yeah, that's right. Fill my own spoon. Oh, yep. Oh. I'm going to do it. How can a spirit When you even... least expect it to. How can a spirit come? <laughs> you don't have the physical body. Hey, in to multiple come. ways, just ask both of your wives. Oh. What the fuck? You fuck my wives? I thought that being a polygamist would get me out of the stuff like this. <laughs> what would you even do about it? I don't I don't know. I don't know. It's my mission to ruin both of your lives. I hate you guys and this show. It's what? perverse. And I hate perversity. You just said you were fucking our wives and you were gonna comb in a pie and smear it in our face. <laughs> What do you mean you hate perversity? I hate You've perversity. Literally, literally been saying fuck you every sentence. Famously, spirit of Randy Newman is a prude. That's a fact. I don't get you it. Take that to the bank. I don't get it. You just said you were gonna yeah, make a, you're too dumb to make get a it. whole pie of cum and smear it in our face. I have to stoop down to your perverse level. Fuck you, Art and Andy. So- do 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 do. So you just don't have any principles, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I've been out of school for a long time. You fucking ghost. Who does that sound like? Who, what kind of joke does that sound like? Yeah, it like? sounds like me. Okay, I got it. It sounds like me. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. I love LA. Randy Newman ghost. God damn it. How do we make this guy like us? We need to be liked. <sighs> Fuck. What are we doing wrong? This sucks. It's like, yeah, I want him to like me, but God damn it. He's so insufferable. You guys should just focus more on the topics. Take yourselves out of it. In fact, just replace the whole show with different people, and then you'd be great. Okay. I mean, but then we wouldn't be part of the show. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You guys are the problem. Right. Yeah. 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 Thanks for the advice. I guess that's true. Hmm. Maybe we are our own worst enemies. Wow. Call me lit. You're lit. No surprise to me. I am my own worst enemy. Thanks, Randy. You got it. Shrimp dick. Fucking stupid ass bitch. What are you going to do? My fucking spirit. Kick your ass up and down the streets of L.A. I love L.A. All right. I think I have an idea. All right. What's that? What if we like, what if you reverse summon him? You like, you unsummon him. Okay. Yeah. Like open a portal the other way. Yeah. You think we could get rid of him that way? Yeah. We could also just flush him down the toilet. Does that work? We could try it. Okay. Let's try it at the end of the show. We got to get through the top suspects. That's true. Here we are, bugfuckers. Let's get it to the actual top suspects of the murder. We're only going to cover three, and because that's because they're the top three, the main three. But there's plenty more, and and you might you might not consider some of these the top three. But I this is these are the ones I think are the top three. Yeah. Walter Bailey, 
As we said, the short murder is especially perplexing due to the method by which her body was cut in half. It was a surgical technique used to detach the spine that was only taught in the 1930s. Thus, it makes sense that the killer was somebody skilled in surgical practices and medicine. Someone who could and would have access to the tools and means to perform an act such as that. Enter one, Walter Bailey. Bailey was an L.A. surgeon who lived one block south of the vacant lot in which Short's body was found. That is, until he separated from his wife in October of 1946. Okay, so he has some familiarity with the area, and he'd Mm -hmm. have some surgical knowledge to perform the murder. Is there anything else? Well, his daughter was a friend of Short's sister, Virginia. And had been the matron of honor at her wedding. Aha! So he did have a connection to the Short family as well. Wow. Things are lining up. He might have got an invite to the wedding. He might have. Bailey actually died two years after the murder in 1948 at the age of 69. Nice. Nice. So he would have been 67 at the time of the murder. Old guy. Yeah, kind of old to be doing something like that, Andy, don't you think? But. Mm-hmm. Bailey's autopsy showed that he was suffering from a degenerative brain disease at the time of his death. Perhaps this disease caused him to go on a mad one-time killing spree. Oh, God, look at me. I sound like the L.A. Examiner newspaper, (laughs) making wild accusations that have no basis in reality. Yeah, you do. After his death, his widow alleged that his mistress knew a, quote, terrible secret about Bailey. And was made the uh, and that's why she was made the main beneficiary upon his death as a result. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. You got some marital problems there. Yeah. Regardless of all these connections, Bailey was never a suspect in the case, but many medical doctors uh, and with medical training were. Uh, Bailey had no history of violence or any criminal activity. And even though his daughter was a friend with Short's older sister, he was not known to have ever met Elizabeth Short. Yeah. In later years, though, more coincidental but interesting evidence has come forth pointing to Bailey as the possible suspect and killer. Most of this comes from the LA Times editor, Larry Harnish, who began studying the case in 1996. Harnish uh, surmised that Bailey cut Short's body in half because he wasn't strong enough to carry the body in full. He also cites that Bailey's neurodegenerative condition was known to produce violent behavior in otherwise passive individuals. His surgical specializations included mastectomies, hysterectomies, and the surgical removal of fat. And in conversation with Bailey's former receptionist, Harnish discovered that he and his mistress would, at dinner time, watch movies of surgeries and autopsies. Ugh. Which is pretty gross. That's pretty, I guess. What does that say about the mistress? I don't know. Uh, on top of all that, Bailey dumped the body one block away from his then estranged wife, and the Glasgow smile given to Short might have been out of anger Bailey had towards her, as Short allegedly would falsely tell men that she that that she had a son who tragically died. This was like a thing she would just lie and say to people allegedly huh. to get sympathy. But Bailey did have a son who died at age eleven in a car accident. That child's birthday was January thirteenth. Short was discovered on January fifteenth. So, maybe Bailey found out about one of Short's lies. Revenge. Maybe. Maybe. Let's get into our next suspect here, Leslie Dillon. Dillon was a 27-year-old bellhop, aspiring writer, and former mortician's assistant, a classic combo, 
who became a suspect when he began. I'm so tired of working with dead bodies. You ever think you might want to write for the movies? And I love hotels. <laughs> All my friends call me Steve Hotel. <laughs> Uh, He became a suspect when he began writing to Los Angeles Police Department psychiatrist Dr. J. Paul DeRiver in October of 1948. Dylan was living in Florida at the time of his correspondence with DeRiver and had formerly lived in Los Angeles. He read a story about the case in a true detective style magazine in which DeRiver was quoted and wrote to DeRiver regarding his theories on the case, which seems all well and good. Mm -hmm. But then... Dylan started also mentioning his intense interest in sadism and sexual violence. You know, as research purposes. He was an aspiring writer, after all, and wanted to write a book on the subject. It definitely wasn't just what he was into. Yeah. Man, I really want to write a book about hurting people during sex. (laughs) Which he just starts, like, bringing up one day. Like, you're getting letters from this guy, and he's like, oh, this is neat fan mail. And then all of a sudden he's just like, hey. You ever just want to like, uh, you know, I don't know, bloodlet somebody while having sex with them or have them like, you know, whip you and torture you? Uh, oh, OK. Let's Hi, Dr. DeRiver. I read your I read the quotations from you in this following article, and I thought you had some very interesting thoughts. And I'd like to tell you about some of my uh, theories on the case. And by the way, I'd also like to strangle somebody while I have sex with them. <laughs> Purely academic, though. Dylan then started mentioning his quote unquote Friend Jeff Connors as a likely suspect. Drivers concluded that Connors likely didn't exist, and this was all just Dylan talking about his own fantasies, and that Dylan may have committed Short's murder himself. Yeah. So Drivers sees right through this shit. Yeah. In December of 1948, Dylan agreed to meet with DeRiver in Las Vegas, as Dylan had reservations about returning to LA. Hmm. So DeRiver well, he does love hotels. He does love a hotel. So, so DeRiver, it's not surprising he would have reservations. And some undercover LAPD officers met Dylan in Las Vegas for a couple of days and then proceeded to drive back to California. Once there, Dylan and DeRiver traveled to San Francisco to unsuccessfully look for Jeff Connors. When Dylan offered up... Where's Jeff Connors? (laughs) Where's Jeff Connors? All right. Thank you, Randy. I love LA. Great movie. Shot in LA. Is that true? Uh, yeah, Terminator takes place in L.A. Mm-hmm. There you go. And uh, Terminator 2. Uh, when Dylan offered up intimate details about the crime, he was taken into custody by the undercover officers and then transported to Los Angeles. After this happened, Dylan sailed a postcard out of a hotel window window with a plea for help on it. It was discovered by a passerby and turned into the local authorities. Better not help. I better get the police. <laughs> There's some fucking twists in this one, Beefers, but wait, there's more. Wow. Police soon discovered that Jeff Connors did indeed exist. Wow. I know. But his real name was Artie Lane. Whoa. Ruh-roh. <laughs> Artie Lane is possibly involved with a horrific murder. <laughs> Artie Lane, he killed a person in an alleyway. He bisected the body at the torso. Do, 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 do. I love LA. Come on, Randy. Okay. We can sing too, okay? You're not yeah. the only one. You're not the only one that knows music. I know it better than you. I mean, yeah. You got it. Look at my tiny piano. 
Bing, bing, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I get it. So Artie Lane. Lane had lived in Los Angeles at the time of the murder and was employed by Columbia Studios, a favorite hangout of shorts, as a maintenance man. However, contrary to popular belief, Dylan could not exclusively, uh, could not conclusively, could not be conclusively placed in San Francisco at the time of the murder. In fact, police never could account for Dylan's whereabouts between January 9th and January 15th, 1947. Hmm. Got no alibi. Yeah. Dylan later filed a $100,000 claim against the city of Los Angeles, but dropped the lawsuit after it emerged he was wanted by Santa Monica police for robbery. Los Angeles Times reporter Larry Harnish disputes this and says that Dylan did in fact receive a financial settlement from the city of Los Angeles. The whole incident with Dylan and more were the subject of the 1949 grand jury inquiry into the mishandling of the case by the LAPD. A lot of people believed Dylan may have been the real killer, but got off scot-free because he fled to his home state of Oklahoma and was able to avoid extradition to California because of Dylan's relative was the governor of Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. Wow. In recent years, Driver's daughter, daughter, wrote a book called The Curse of the Black Dahlia in which she expressed her belief that her father had been unfairly maligned for the whole Dylan debacle. And even as recent as 2017, a book titled Black Dahlia, Red Rose by P.U. Eatwell believes that Dylan, Jeff Connors, slash Artie Lane, Mark Hansen, the nightclub owner with the address book from earlier, and Sergeant Finnis Brown, an allegedly corrupt detective on the case, all had ties to Hansen and were all working together on a scheme to rob hotels and that Short knew too much about their plot, so they killed her. Wow. I know. Holy shit. Adding to this was the theory that Short was killed at the Astor Motel in Los Angeles, where owners reported finding one of their rooms covered in blood and fecal matter on one morning, on the morning that Short's body was found. Now, there's some disputes about this, but then... Uh, some people might think that maybe Andy was spending time in that room, too. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. You leave a lot of hotel rooms covered in blood and fecal matter. Yeah, especially the bed sheets. I get a lot of bloody diarrhea at night. Oh, God. Are you happy now, spirit of Randy Newman, that I said bloody diarrhea? I've never been happy from the moment I've been here. Okay. Okay. Fuck you. Remember that song? I remember it. You sang it twice. Slightly different lyrics. Should I have come with more lyrics? No. It's fine. Okay. All right. Let's get to it. You blimp, funker, beefer, buffers, buff, beefer, blimpers. We're probably waiting for this one. George Hodel. Oh, Nelly, this boy is a trip. Let me tell you now. <laughs> yeah. We're about to check in and stay at the George Hotel Hodel. And you ain't going to leave once you hear about this one. Dr. George Hill Hodel Jr. has led a very controversial and fucked up life. His connection to Elizabeth Short's murder came under police scrutiny in October 1949 when his then 14-year-old daughter... Tamar accused him of molesting her and even impregnating her. During the trial, Tamar even claimed that her father, George, 
was the Black Dahlia murderer. Now, somehow, Hodel was acquitted of these incestuous sex crimes against his own daughter. But after the trial, he became a major suspect for the Black Dahlia case. And for good reason, too. Hodel really fit the bill of the killer. Let me list some facts at you, Andy. He was a trained surgeon and doctor with a successful medical practice where he specialized in STDs. He was very highly intelligent and considered a musical prodigy from a young age. He had a lengthy history of serious sex crimes. He was even kicked out of undergrad university for having an affair with one of his professor's wives, impregnating her and ruining their marriage. Hodel got very involved with a group of surrealists, like the art movement. Right. And he began fraternizing with them, enjoying a life of sadomasochism, drinking, partying, and hooking up. He had multiple wives and was a polygamist. Some he was married to in the eyes of the state. Others were common law. He lived in a house with all of his wives and children called the Snowden House, designed by the son of also fucked up life haver, Frank Lloyd Wright, <laughs> where he also had other temporary lovers. Yeah. So he had this fuck house. Right. Where he lived with his wives, all his kids, and his lovers, and all these surrealists. It was just like this fucking den of debauchery. Right. He was like a little Caligula. <laughs> yeah. It is, uh, it is alleged that Hodel came into contact with Short, um, you know, whether by her staying at the Snowden house or being a patient of Hodel's at his STD clinic. On top of all this, Hodel was also a suspect in the bizarre death of his personal secretary in 1945, Ruth Spaulding. He was present. Let me repeat that. He was present when Spaulding overdosed and burnt some of her papers before police were called. The case was dropped owing to a lack of evidence, but documents were later found that indicated Spaulding was about to publicly accuse Hodel of intentionally misdiagnosing patients and billing them for laboratory tests, medical treatment, and prescriptions that they did not need. So here we are. In 1949, Hodel was a prime suspect and his suspicion was kept under wraps. Beefers, it's only in hindsight that we have all this info as much of it was uncovered by the DA's office in the early 2000s, as I mentioned earlier. Hodel had always been suspected publicly, uh, but it wasn't proven in, that he was a suspect of the police investigation until much later. People were always like, oh, you're probably considering Hodel, and they would be like, no comment. Which was also revealed in 2003, was, which, what was also revealed in 2003 was that police put Hodel under surveillance from February 18th to March 27th, 1950, to ascertain whether he could be implicated in the murder. In the surviving transcripts of microphone recordings, many of them were lost over time, but these ones that survived, Hodel was heard making highly incriminating statements. Here's one for you. Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They could prove it now. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. <laughs> they ought, they thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Jesus fucking Christ. Move over, Robert Durst and the Jinx. <laughs> Robert Hodel is just coming through. Uh, with a or, micro microphone attached to him still while he's taking a piss. Yeah, forget... forget. Uh, Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck kind of statement is that? OJ, get out of the way. Robert yeah. Durst, get out of the way. Here comes George Hodel. But as with anything... 
no one, no one suspect is 100% perfect. There was evidence against Hodel being the killer, namely that he was out partying the night of the murder. Microphone recordings proving he didn't commit the murder and witness testimony that is either, you know, some of it's reliable or some of it, you know, provides testimony that he had no relation or connection to Shore, right? There's, there's, there's witness evidence going both ways. Either way, Hodel fled the U.S. in 1954, Hawaii, which was then just a U.S. territory, where he married another woman, had four more kids, until they divorced in the 60s, and Hodel moved to the Philippines. He returned to the U.S. in 1990, where he married yet another woman, until he died at the age of 91 in 1999. Hodel has been implicated in numerous murders over the course of his weird, fucked-up life, including his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, Elizabeth Short, Jean French, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Luis Springer, the Green Twig murder, and yes, the, the Zodiac Killer. Mm-hmm. A bulk of this comes from Hodel's son, Steve Hodel, who, was, who in 2003 published a book, Black Dahlia Avenger, A Genius for Murder, where he claims his father was the Black Dahlia murderer and responsible for multiple murders over two decades, including that his father was the Zodiac Killer. Steve has written that he believes Hodel re-entered the United States multiple times each year from 1958 through 1988, and specifically in 1966 through 1969 to commit more murders and then return to the Philippines. But what's the basis for Steve's claims? Well, on top of all the other evidence we stated earlier, Steve uncovered a photo album belonging to his father that within it had two pictures which greatly resembled Elizabeth Short. Although the family of Elizabeth Short and even some of Steve's family claim that those women in the photographs were not Elizabeth Short. They were just other women. Right. Further evidence includes that George Hodel drove a similar car to the, to the black car seen exiting the vacant lot where Short's body was left. The, uh, where Short's body was left, the witness to whom Ralph Asdell interviewed, which I mentioned earlier. Also, the poses of both Short and French's bodies were eerily similar to some of the paintings and photographs taken by George Hodel's surrealist friend, Man Ray. That's his name. Yeah, that's his name. There was a similar murder case in 1967 in the Philippines where a woman was found bisected at the waist. Guess who lived a half mile from the scene of the crime? George Hodel. Mm. <laughs> wow. Hodel also... I hadn't heard that before. Uh-huh. George Hodel also allegedly had a plethora of connections within the LAPD and the LADA's office and was allegedly a linchpin in covering up their own scandals, prostitution rings, and other corruption. Thus, he could never actually be pursued officially because it was being covered up because he knew so much. To cap it off, Stephen Kay, head deputy for LA County's District Attorney's Office in Compton, who had prosecuted murder cases for more than 35 years, after reviewing Steve Hodel's evidence, believes George Hodel was the murderer of not only Elizabeth Short, but also Jean French. And that is the whole enchilada on the Black Dahlia murderers, bunk funkers, the Black Dahlia murder. Andy, let's fucking flush the spirit of Nan- Randy Newman down a toilet. Okay. Get ready. Okay. On a count of three, we're gonna we're gonna Boy, flush, flush Randy this... Newman's spirit down the toilet. Man, I never thought this would go this way. 
this is how it has to happen, Andy. You need yeah. to be prepared and you need to be ready. I'm ready. And I'm three. Ready I can do this. Two. two one. one. Hey, what gives? What the fuck you guys just do? I love Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Hey, welcome back, Bunkfunkers. That was our research of the Black Dahlia case. Andy and I are still here. We're still going strong. We're, we flushed our main hater down the toilet. That's what we're going to do. We're going to flush the haters. We took the Nick Simon philosophy to heart, and we flushed our hater down the toilet. We did. We did. Andy, a lot with this case, huh? What do you think? No, a no, lot no it's pretty case. straightforward, pretty open and shut case. Not much to say on this one, huh? Yeah. Let's just get to verdicts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, this case is fascinating for a lot of reasons, but how it's so hard to piece together the truth of this one. It's probably yep. somewhere in the middle, but it's like fucked up in like a poetic way, almost where it's like how much like a Hollywood movie. It's like mm-hmm. it's. It's so over the top with the people involved, like short isn't just some unfortunate girl. She's like, you know, a dazzling would be actress who dresses to the nines and dates lots of men. And all the suspects have names like red and George Hodel doesn't just kill people. He's like a fucking monologuing villain. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the whole case is so weird like that, where it's it feels like a, a crazy pulpy movie. Her life is so fucked up and shitty. Yeah. Like it's it's everything about this is over the top. The police did such a bad job investigating that they get like the city the city has to call like a meeting because they're like, Wow, you're so shitty at solving murders. The news just fucking runs train on this story and yeah. just is like absolutely no regard for any journalistic integrity. Look, this has so many parallels in my mind to other things that we've covered. Like the crazy, 
um, bombastic press going so far out and like really muddying the waters just to stoke fear and sell papers. Very much like the Axeman of New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, the murder itself of Elizabeth Short, so much like the Cleveland Torso murders. Yeah. And then the taunting of the press afterwards, so much like Zodiac. It's crazy. It's like a precur. It's like a an amalgamation of all those shitty things. Um, yeah. Where do you see the connection between? You see, there's a connection between torso and this. Do you think? Eh, you think copycat? Like, what are you thinking? It's pretty interesting, and it it it's hard to it's hard to avoid thinking about the similarities because this is the same procedure, right? What do you mean? Like the 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 people that got bisected in Cleveland. Well, yes and no. Cause I mean, I think the Cleveland torso murders started to get sloppier and different as time went on, but it's like, it's very clear that it's, there was that with, one murder. Yeah, the first one that they found, right. That was very surgical. And then they just started finding like pieces of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's true. The torso murderer tended to get, or like eventually what they were finding was just, chunks of chunks flesh and of stuff people. yeah yeah um so yeah maybe maybe it's just that one murder although i think that part of the torso murder thing too is that it was also like a shitty police job yeah i mean i think that they clearly had the killer there whoever that guy was but i kind of feel, i kind of feel like in that one they might have been lumping in a bunch of stuff that wasn't necessarily related it was also the 30s and i think Again, too, with both of these, probably the, the the things afforded to them, yeah, were not even as good as the things that they had when the Zodiac came around. Yeah, for sure, the technology was pretty limited in what they could do to solve crimes. Yeah, but I mean, I I sort of felt that way with uh, with uh, the torso murders that there could be a bunch of stuff they threw in. So maybe this one murder, this initial body they found, Cleveland torso murders, where the body was. Because it was similar, right? That first one. Mm-hmm. Am I thinking right that there was like pretty much a similar thing where they had to cut in between two vertebrae yeah. to basically like bisect a body and avoid cutting through all the organs and stuff? So this is somebody who knows anatomy and can do this. Obviously, it's not like there's only one person on earth who could do that. So it's, And had the strength to do it too. Right, yeah. So it's not – I don't think it's totally out of line to say like, oh, this could be – and look, if somebody was going to know about the Cleveland Torso murders and like be inspired by it, it's probably George Hodel. That's where you're leaning? I think that George Hodel, to me, for this case, this is George Hodel's like the best sus- subject, suspect that I've ever heard of. Yeah. You know, there's other ones like, you know, another big one is, I think his last name is uh, Knowlton. Yeah. Uh, something Knowlton. That's another big one that a lot of people point to. Um, and then there's just a lot of like little ones. Yeah. I don't know. I I've 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 heard of some stuff about Black Dahlia before. Right. And so it always seemed to me like George Hodel was the best sub such suspect for the whole thing. I mean, when you look on paper of like somebody you're like, Yeah, that guy's killed people. Yeah, yeah. He's got all these sex crimes, he lives in a sex house. It's like it's like when you watch the Tiger King, you're like Somebody did something here. I don't know who. Yeah. But like somebody did something here. There's some fucked up shit going on. I can just tell. You could sniff it from a mile away. Like 
this guy is bombastic. He's hanging out with like surrealists. Yeah. He's got this, he's a genius. He's a surgeon. He's interested in STDs. He's fucking and sucking his way across the whole city. Well, and that's the thing is they said like on the police Possibly connection. raped his own daughter. Like, come on. Well, it sort of feels like to me, like for George Hodel, the lines between like fantasy and reality, yeah. he has the means to make them break down completely. Right. And so it's like, you know, I don't know. Woman dies in the Philippines in the same way at like, the time that's when he's pretty, there. That's pretty fucking suspicious. Come on. That's sus as hell. It's pretty sus. I'm not being sussy baka here. That's fucking sus as hell. So I don't know. I think that George Hodel is probably like the top suspect. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense to me. I mean, I don't know. Steve Hodel, I think he, you can, you, he's open to criticism because he's, he takes it too far. Right. He's like, Hey, he's like, by the way, every unsolved murder was committed by my father. It's like, okay, stop. <laughs> he's like doing that. You thing. did a good job. You don't, yeah. this is like, you, and now you're he's, ruining your credibility. He's doing that like playground thing where it's like, well, my dad could beat up your dad. It's like, my dad committed more murders than your <laughs> yeah. dad. Oh, that, that was my dad. Yeah, my dad committed, committed that murder. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that with, with Steve Hodel, where it's like, if you just read about Black Dahlia and you read about George Hodel, it's like, oh shit. Like, I think Steve Hodel is making a really good point here. And then he's like, by the way, my father left for the Philippines. And then he came back every year to commit more murders. It's like, okay, well, now you're sort of losing. You're sort of losing me a little bit. I'm getting getting tired of Manila. I'm going to go murder some people. It's like, I'm not saying that he didn't do that, but I'm just saying like. It's a stretch. Steve Hodel's evidence for this stuff gets less and less where it's just like, well, yeah, why couldn't my dad have done that? Like you said, it's more It's more like, yeah, my dad could have murdered that person for sure. My dad can murder anybody, okay? My dad can murder more than your dad. My dad is a really fucking good murderer. But um, on yeah, the police I, yeah. angle, why he didn't get investigated, Right. it's because, I mean, at least what I think Steve Hodel's trying to say is that his dad was treating all the STDs that the police force had. So these cops are out right. banging people who aren't their wives and mm-hmm. getting STDs and- George Hodel is the doctor they're going to, and he's treating them. He had a lot. And he's keeping it on the DL. Insider. But so info. he knows all the inner workings. Secrets. Like, who'd you get this from? Like, and he seems like, I mean, obviously, if you go to this guy for your STDs, you're like, oh, this dude's chill. Like, well, he's also a highly intelligent person. So it's right. like, he's not a dummy. He knows how valuable that information is. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Right. And so he gets to skirt under the law. I mean, LA is a dirty, dirty, corrupt fucking city. Yeah. Unlike most like, big cities, unlike most big cities, but, which are which are sparkling. But L.A. is like it's a, it's like it's just it must be the movies or something. But I mean, like Chinatown, you know, Chinatown, yeah. that movie, great fucking movie. Never seen it. Uh, um, also based on L.A. Yeah. So, was that Tommy Lee Jones? Uh Jack Nicholson. Oh, that's right. I was close. And. Um, Almost got it. So close. Very close. similar actors. Yeah. Similar range, similar everything. Yeah. Um, no, I know what you mean, but at the same time, I can't remember much about the Zodiac, but I do remember <laughs> that. I think what we concluded, it's been a long time ago. It's been a long time. It's been a while. Um, been a while. it's, is that there seemed like there were two separate killers is how we concluded it with Zodiac. And mm-hmm. you believe that it was that Ross, whatever his last name was. What's his face, yeah. And I think we both agreed that it was that guy. 
Yeah, that guy was suspicious as hell. The guy, that guy that worked at the library. Right. Yeah. Does he fit the description? George Hodel doesn't really fit the description. Yeah. He's got a mustache. He's kind of like, he looks like a dork. Yeah. Like a little, little dorky. I mean, maybe he shaved the mustache. I don't know. But he's, I don't know. He doesn't seem like a Zodiac killer. And like the Zodiac-y part of the, of, of the Elizabeth Short murder is the police taunting. The murder itself is nothing like the Zodiac. It's nothing like the it. Zodiac. I mean, he would just shoot people. Yeah. The Zodiac is like not, not a crime of passion, but it, it's much less planned. Like to it's kill like an impulse. Yeah. To kill Elizabeth. Like you go out like Zodiac to me was like pre-planning in the sense that I'm going to kill somebody tonight. Right. I have I'm going urge. to go a place where I know I can wait for people to show up and kill them. Whereas this seems very targeted. You don't just accidentally kill somebody and then bisect their body and drain like their blood. It's a, like it's a more of a crime of passion. Like he either knew Elizabeth Short in some capacity, was treating her in some capacity, things went south, she learned too much, so he kills her yeah. by botching a surgery. <laughs> and then he knows all the techniques. He knows mm-hmm. how to clean a body with gasoline. He knows how to... Uh, drain it of blood. Yeah. Which that's like, you know, you need like a specialized, like where the fuck are you draining someone of blood? Yeah. That isn't going to be found. Well, you're going to do it in a doctor's office or something where you can dispose of blood, especially STD medical clinic where like, they're probably taking lots of blood samples. They're probably, I don't know. They, 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 doctors know how to dispose of that bio, 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 whatever it is. And this is another mark against the lipstick murder. What? If I'm not mistaken, wasn't that body found like the the body was drained in the bathtub? I can't remember. I like it's a bathtub do, full of blood. I didn't really do much research into that beyond. If, the if memory serves, I think that was part of the thing. Is like they come into the scene, the Chicago police find this scene where it's like there's there's a body like on the floor. It's been drained of blood. All the blood's in the bathtub, and or like the body's in bed and it's completely drained of blood and all the blood is in the bathtub and on the bathroom mirrors scrawled in lipstick some message from the killer. Yeah. So it's different than in my mind it's different than this. Well like you said this you have to have access to like some place to get rid of blood where it doesn't seem suspicious that oh there's a lot of blood. Right. No, I he has the means, he has the motive, he has I mean, I guess he doesn't have the clearest motive. Yeah, what is his motive other than just... Well, I don't know. He knew excess her. Excess, sadism. Yeah, he knew her in some capacity and yeah. just, I don't know, went gnarly. But if you if you look at the picture, those Man Ray pictures, like, which I mean, yeah, laugh at the name Man Ray. Uh, Man Ray! Yeah. SpongeBob. It's the only thing I can think now, too. But Barnacle Boy. There's a picture of like a woman, mm-hmm. you know, with arms up and it's bisected. Like, it's supposed it's like it cuts the frame cuts her off in half. You can only see the top. The arms are up. It's supposed to look like a deer or something is like the idea as far as I understand it. But it's like it sounds very much like how Elizabeth Short's body was posed. And that's one of the theories is that George Hodel was posing this person as like a surrealist piece. Yeah. Which is so fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. It's hard to tell. And then you've got all the letters and all the possessions and all the stuff showing up. And it's like that clearly had to come from the killer. Yeah, for sure. 
And why would he do that? Yeah. Why would he do that? Why would he send that stuff in and risk getting caught in any capacity? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of people that do stuff like this, it's the thrill. It's the exhilaration. The thrill of one more kill. The last one to fall. Well, you got to think about it, too, this way. If George Hodel is the killer and he's doing this taunting of the police or or of the media, because he's not really taunting the police. Maybe he's just having a laugh. Everything. Maybe he's just having a laugh with the police. And like shits and giggles. He knows he's beyond being like prosecuted for this. And so he's just like stoking the, f- the flames of the press. Stroking, stoking his fire and flames on Dragon Force. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I see what you mean. Um, and he is like a fucked up weird little dude, but, uh, you know, um, I'm not super convinced by this Dylan Hansen Lane triumvirate of crime. I don't really understand the triumvirate of crime. Like I understand the guy starts writing weird sicko letters to the doctor and then. Yeah. In a very Cleveland torso way, trap him in a hotel room. You know, the other thing too is like people, these criminals have a motive to like, I don't know. They don't want to be like implicated in this murder because they don't want people snooping around and finding out the other things that they've done. Right. Like I'm sure that Hanson, Jeff Connors slash Artie Lane and Leslie Dillon probably were doing things that were bad. Right. As was the, whoever the detective was that was also in on it. Like I'm sure that was happening. Yeah. They were pretty crimes. Do they want to like also get connected to the murder? Cause no, obviously one that, cause they don't want anyone to find out about their crimes. Then two, it just makes you look all the more suspicious. Right, yeah. I mean... Somebody finds out in the 40s that you're a bank robber or a hotel robber, like, they'll just connect you to the murder to be done with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's that's what... It's, like, real easy to just be like, ah, well, we got him on a legit crime. Let's beat a confession out of him for this other thing. Right. Um, I don't believe... I don't really buy Walter Bailey very much. Um, Those coincidences are very silly. And it just sort of seemed like he was just a guy who, I mean, he's 67 years old. He's not I, murdering people. I mean, I get what they're saying with, oh, maybe he bisected this body in order to, like, make it easier to maneuver. Yeah, but we know from her, the way she died, that she was bound. I mean, the Glasgow smile. You've got the blunt force trauma to the head, which yeah. is the actual killing blow. Um, All the torture and, like, different things. It just, it reeks of George Hodel. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think we forget is like she wasn't just bisected the way she was like tortured and maimed. Yeah. Yeah. And then posed in a very weird way that isn't like. And then drained of blood and like. Washed with gas, like is Walter Bailey, a 67 year old man with a degenerative brain disease doing that? Like, no. Yeah, because the thing you'd think with like degenerative brain disease where it's like, oh, he was normally a docile person, but this could make him more aggressive. Almost this act of murder is like not aggressive. It's almost contemplative. Yeah. More so than it's aggressive because I guess at least to me, maybe it's just how I'm using words. Like I would say aggressive is like, oh, he's he's striking out like, oh, maybe if Walter Bailey like stabbed her a bunch of times because he's like in some kind of like fit of mental this clarity right but 
to like bind and torture somebody over a period of time while you like slowly rob them of life and then to perform surgery on them and drain the body and clean it with gasoline so you're not implicated in it. Those aren't the actions of a person who's like acting anything yeah. but but very deliberately. Right. And then the po- the stuff her intestines under her butt and then like like it's doing that very particularly so deliberate. Yeah. And then like yeah, I mean it's you're right. I mean it's I think his well, I don't know anything about the Baileys, but uh this guy gets a suddenly neurodegenerative cognitive disease and then he's like, I'm going to leave my wife and go with my mistress. Like, doesn't that seem like something that reasonable? That seems like something reasonable. Like, suddenly he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, impulsively leaving my wife. And right. it's like, yeah, it sucks for everybody, but it doesn't mean he's a murderer. It, you know, like, that's probably the end result, not the he committed this horrible murder and strange surgery on the corpse and right. posing of the body. Right. Um. I mean, although it is weird, he was watching like autopsy videos at dinner time. Yeah, but, but you know that what? Could just be smear. Are weird. That could be a smear too. If you doctor what? Because didn't that come from the ex-wife? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So she could just be like, oh yeah, right. They're fucking weird. Because he he basically named his mistress as his beneficiary right. upon his death. Which again, degenerative brain disease? Sure. Probably. Sure. Makes sense. Also, people do that with non-degenerative brain diseases. Right. Some people are just assholes. But also, you doctors out there, we know. Y'all are a couple of freaks. You like to get freaky. Y'all some freaks out there, doctors. Y'all some freaks out there, doctors. Get no, doctors up. have to watch stuff like that. Yeah. In sure. any other context, watching somebody dissect a human body is fucked up. Except when you put it in the lens of, well, I'm trying to context learn. Of, I'm a surgeon. I'm a surgeon. I'm an autopsy and I need to. And two, I think surgeons, uh, they enjoy cutting people open. I had surgery uh, a year ago, I can't remember. I think it was a year ago. I had a minor. Well, not minor. I went under. I had to remove a cyst from my throat. Remember that? Yeah. You didn't care. I remember that. I was there with you in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> but like my doctor, who she was a fucking amazing doctor, totally trusted her. She, she was so excited about the surgery. I was like, what the, f-? I was literally like, what is wrong with you? Like I said that to her. I was like, you're weird. <laughs> She was like, she took photos of the things she removed from me. Yeah. And she was like, look at how big it is. I was like, what? And she was like, I'm going to show all my doctor friends. This is wild. I was like, what is, this is so weird. But in the world of doctors, you I, you would want someone who's passionate about that shit, right? Yeah. You should be so lucky to have a doctor who's like, I live for cutting bodies and gutting things out of people's bodies and like performing shit. People, people don't like Dr. Pimple Popper, but thank God Dr. Pimple Popper exists. Everyone should be so passionate about. I don't know what that is and I don't want to know. It's the doctor that pops pimples and that stuff. That stuff is so gross to me. But Dr. Pimple Popper loves it. But I've had dermatologists like that too who like have popped blackheads on my face and been like, oh, fuck yeah. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Oh God, I'm going to come. She's like, I just <laughs> love doing this. Oh, let me pop another one. Oh, I've had my ears cleaned by by people as well, and they're like, "Man, this is amazing! Nah. I'm getting so much gunk out of here." Like you know, they get off, like they, they're into it. My doctor's always like looking in my ears, and she's like, "You should clean your ears." <laughs> <laughs> your doctors berate you. Yeah. Well, I deserve it. But like, that's the thing about doctors. So they they enjoy that stuff. So George Hodel enjoys it on a different level. Walter Bailey, maybe too. Oh man. Well, yeah. Who knows? He's with his. Maybe his mistress was also a 
in the medical field. That's true. We don't know that. We don't know. Maybe the doc maybe the mistress was also a doctor. Yeah. We don't know that. You know, and she's really into they're just both watching surgeries because they're like, ah, look at this surgery. I think that with being a doctor, you get to the point, and I think this is probably what your objective is. If you're gonna be performing surgeries and doing stuff like that, you kind of have to get to a point where it's like, you know, and I've heard this about doctors that I've known where it's sort of like the doctor gets to the point where a human body isn't is just like a thing. It's a thing. Like it's an object. It's not You've seen so many penises. Right. So many butts. Like this is like doctors always say this just a where it's, it's like people are like insecure about themselves and yeah. it's like, oh, I don't want the doctor to see me. The doctor's like, I literally don't care. Like I'm looking at you as a medical specimen and nothing else, like nothing else about you matters to me. Yeah. Like I'm sure it's like a very big, if you're a doctor. And like, they've also seen 10 times worse than whatever you have. So <laughs> yeah. unless you know you have the worst thing, yeah. they've seen worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny how embarrassed we feel about doctors and like the different ways, but it's like, dude, you're just a thing to them. Right. And which is a problem in some respects. That's why people look for doctors who have really good bedside manner. Well, yeah. They've been treated by a doctor who has horrible bedside manner and you just like are like, sure. oh, God. Yeah. This is awful. Yeah. They were a robot. Yeah. I, I don't know. I saw a nurse practitioner once. No offense to nurse practitioners, but. Or a physician's assistant or whatever it was. I don't remember. But she was like very much. I don't know. Just like. Here are your problems. This is what you need to do to fix them. Goodbye. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> On the one hand, you appreciate a very, you know. I appreciate a factual approach, I suppose. Factual approach. I've had doctors too who just like leave the room and don't say goodbye. And then like a nurse comes in and goes, oh, you can leave. It's like, I wow. didn't know the doctor was done. Yeah. yeah. The nurse comes in later and says, oh, you're still here? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to clean up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, I don't know, Andy. I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about with this case that really just threw you for a loop? Um, Otherwise, we can get to verdicts. I I think I think the things that threw me for a loop on this were Randy the full Newman. Randy Newman that I was did not see that coming. Um, how shitty Elizabeth Short's life was, and how shitty her dad is. Yeah, I mean that's fucked up, man. It makes me feel really bad for her. Like I already felt bad for her because she was murdered, but. Like knowing that she had such a like shit life and then yeah. this is how it ends. Like, like you said, it's, it's like almost disgustingly poetic. It is like horribly poetic. Like yeah. a poem that makes you sad. Right. Um, it's comical in some ways. And then I think the other big blockbuster is well, maybe showing my hands a little bit here. That dead body in the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a, kind of a important piece of evidence. Right. All right. Up. I'll get to verdicts then. Let's get to them. Okay. I'm I'm going to go um highly plausible. Whoa, dude. That George Hodel is the Black Dahlia murderer. Wow. Uh, for everything that we already talked about. <laughs> like Do you think that he wrote any of those letters? I don't know. I'm 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 on the fence about the letters mm-hmm. cuz I was kind of thinking, "Oh, well, maybe this is just somebody taking advantage of the media storm and doing this on the side, but knowing that, but then thinking about it again and thinking about that, they actually got possessions that belong to Elizabeth short. You almost have to then buy into the fact that the first letter said this would happen, although the press probably printed it. So even if somebody was having a goof, 
then Hodel could have read that in the newspaper and been like, haha, I'll follow up on this by actually sending them something. Uh, and then he put that handwritten letter in. So I'm 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 not so sure about the notes. Do you think he also killed Jean French? The woman found with BD and lipstick and posed in a very similar way. I wouldn't put it past him. Wow. And the woman in the Philippines. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that one for sure. What about the Zodiac Killer? I don't think that George Hodel's the Zodiac Killer. Wow. I don't think Zodiac, it's not the same profile. Yeah. Like George, I mean, like so far we're like seeing George Hodel do something very specific. Zodiac would just be like wanton killing yep. for somebody like George Hodel. And, you know, it just doesn't fit with the other stuff. If it is him, it's just like, oh, he's into like a variety of murders. Right. And he loves murdering in different ways. But I wouldn't necessarily. Here I go killing again. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't know. To me, it doesn't ring true. It's a fair verdict, Andy. And I can't say case confirmed because, I mean, again, this is one of those that we'll probably just never know. Yeah. Well, I haven't looked at all the evidence, but I am going to go case confirmed. <laughs> I think it's George Hodel. I think yeah. there's no other clear answer that I've seen so far. It's George Hodel. This guy's a killer. Yeah. I think he killed Elizabeth Short. I think he killed Jean French. And I think he killed that woman in the Philippines. I don't think he was the Zodiac, but I'd have to revisit some of that. But I think he did those three killings and possibly more. Yeah. Who knows? And I think it was him. It's just two. I don't care what kind of fucking alibis he had. We we don't know. We we can't account for Elizabeth between a, very, a pretty lengthy amount of time. So who knows if he fucking bound her and tortured her, kept her locked away somewhere. What happened to this woman? You know, she had a lot of fucked up stuff happen. Yeah. Like the Glasgow big- smile. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, this is sadistic stuff. Yeah, and the big thing is that the the surgical stuff happened after the body had after she was already dead. Correct. So that like you said, she's been missing for some time. She's probably being tortured. Mm-hmm. Like she's probably bound. That's why she's got the ligature marks. And then there's somebody performing surgery on her and then dumping the body. Right. So it's not like you have to say like, oh, George Hodel was out partying the night before, so he couldn't have done this. It's like, why not? The chances are that she was already dead and drained of blood when he went out partying. I feel very strongly about it. I I don't normally with these true crimes, but I got to tell you, I just, I think the evidence is lined up here. I think, like you said, Andy, we will never find out. So why not fucking go case confirmed for me? You know, that's my, I'm never going to find out. So I just got to go with the guy I think did it and he's dead. So fuck him. (laughs) Uh, and his son and his family certainly don't fucking like him because he was a big, huge piece of shit. Well, yeah. Who allegedly also fucking uh, molested and raped his own children. Raped his children. So fuck this guy. Yeah. I don't care. And um, yeah, I'm going case confirmed. So bunk funkers. Yeah, he's a real sick fuck. He's a sick fuck. Certified. Certified sick fuck. Um, Slap it on his little ass, but actually maybe don't because he might like that. He probably, yeah. Slap it on his forehead. Slap it on his forehead. Um, Bunkfunkers, those are our verdicts on the Black Dahlia murder. What do you think? Use the hashtag Randy Newman. Yeah, hashtag Randy Newman. Or I love LA. Uh, yeah, hashtag I love LA. I love LA. Hashtag I love LA. Let us know what you think. Email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. 
Uh, find us on YouTube, YouTube, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time. And if you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod for five bucks a month. Get access to all the behind the scenes, back Patreon catalog content. Lots of fun episodes on there and more fun things on the way. Get access to the Bunker Discord. Mm -hmm. Get your own bunker alarm. And you can get the gaming live streams as well, uh, which will be coming out hopefully every month and maybe even more a month if I feel like live streaming more often than once a month. I mean... Depends on my schedule. I mean, I guess you could say we're all friends and that we're all at Central Perk because there's a lot of perks to being a patron of this show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rachel. I don't know anything about friends. I've never seen it. So okay. you're obviously the Joey. <laughs> hey, I don't know what he does. That's I'm dumb and I like girls. What does he do? That's it. He's got a catchphrase though. You got it. Yeah. He's always going, what's the matter? You what's the matter? And then Chandler goes, could you be any more of a patron? Like that's what he says. Something. Yeah. They didn't age very well. Um, so like purse as people, both as people and as just in general. I don't know. I've never seen Friends. Um, Bunk Funkers uh, and Andy, that that was the Black Dahlia murder. That was the Black Dahlia murder. Long, hefty topic. It's a big topic, but thank you to Erica for the suggestion, of course. Uh, We couldn't do the show without you. Literally, you're keeping us us afloat um, with topics because we've run out of ideas. We don't have any original ideas. No, and we don't need to. And supporters and bunk bunkers like you. I make this the same episode joke. brought to you by bunk bunkers like you. Have you ever been a bunk bunker and wondered how could I help make this show better? <laughs> the only way you can make it better is by forcing us to go off the air. Yeah, like Randy Mooman. Like Randy Mooman. Uh, Andy, any last words? Um, no, I'm just going to reiterate. George Odell's a fucked up shithead. Fuck that shithead, dude. He's a fucked up piece of shit. And it's I good that Ellie. he's fucking dead. It's too bad he lived as long as he did. Piece of shit. He did live a long time. Yeah. Still Proving true. Only the good, only the good die young and old pieces of shit will live on forever. Very true. Well. Fueled by nothing but our hatred for them. For not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my bratis. Wow. Co-host Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. I am Bratus. That would be my Roman emperor name. Yeah. Bratus. Bratus Gorillus. King of sausage. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? 
and was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.